Folks, welcome to High Council Tuesday here on World Class Bullshitters. I'm your host, Jeff Hicks, and with me tonight is Mary Mayhem. Giggity, giggity. And folks, <laughs> one of my favorite YouTubers, you know him, you love him, he returned. It's the Rageaholic. Say hello to Razorfist. You know him, you in all likelihood hate, hate him in some way or harbor some deep-seated grudge over some random-ass opinion uh, that you heard <laughs> me express over the internet. Yes, Godspeed. How the hell are you, are? So... Like we had discussed briefly uh, before the show started, Razor, it's been a minute. How you been? <clears throat> yeah, it's it's been a minute and a half. Uh, it's been too long, actually. I, en I enjoy our our musings, sir. As do I. It's it's fun because we have a lot of crossover that I don't think either of us realize. You brought up briefly, uh, you had found out about the China stuff uh, that I was involved with our YouTube channel uh, a couple yeah. of years back. He's like, for those who don't know, this this cat over here is like the second to last video on her channel or something like that. Like, he's one of the last people really in public to talk to the woman. Yeah. It was bizarre because I went up to her and I told her the story how I only had two female toys as a kid, Princess Leia and China, and how much I liked China. And that was not a lie. That was, uh, I think she knew it was 100% sincere. That's why she was so into it. But it was a great experience. And it was just really sad that the second I go home, uh, not the second I get home, but a couple days later, I get the message from somebody over on uh, DeviantArt that she passed away, and then, boom, that was it. So, yeah, very, very sad. I mean, again, that's just professional wrestling nowadays. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they just they they actually just need to cut out the middleman and just hire corpses. I think just <laughs> wow. save a lot of time. I feel like they'd put up less of a fight, too. Right. Of course, I don't know if you've seen Vince McMahon these days. I, they may be run Whoa. by a corpse right now. I'm, He's been dead for a while, and his body's just hooked up to a machine like Palpatine. In the oh god, I referenced the rise of Skywalker. Ew. Oh no, God, is it a drinking game now? Can we take a shot? Oh no, Mary's got her. Uh, what are you drinking, Mary? Your uh, hard lemonade, it's, right? It's a Mike's hard strawberry lemonade. You're lying. It's the blue titty milk from that alien. <laughs> I want to get tipsy, not kill myself. <laughs> yes, oh, the opposite of Luke Skywalker. Right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, so Razor, I wanted to bring this up briefly at the beginning of the show. Uh, for those who don't know, um, your name shares a similarity with a famous, Mar well, not so famous Marvel character. And so the other right. week when I went and saw Shang-Chi, I couldn't <laughs> not think of the Rageaholic you eat Razor Fist because every time he fought that, he was like, hey, it's Razor Fist. What was yeah, the it's other been fantastic Fist? fucking free advertising for me. It's great. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know how the fuck that happened. I wasn't even aware, or maybe I was, maybe it was one of those things where I was in the back of my mind. Cause I came in, I come, came up with the name Razor Fist in or around, I don't know, like 2006, 2007, I was doing a lot of street fighter tournaments and whatnot. And I play as Vega and, uh, you know, Vega's got a razor on his fist. Right. And, um, so that's literally where I came up with it. That's it. And at some point, when I first started my YouTube channel, I was just uploading uh, tournament play and whatnot of me playing Street Fighter. And so obviously that was the name that I chose. <laughs> it's it's just a weird serendipitous way. But yeah, I think around that time, if I remember correctly, around 2006, 2007, I'd have to go back and check. But Ed Brubaker was writing Daredevil, right? And it was it was like Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark. And it would have been the Mr. Fear arc in the Daredevil comic. I'm obsessed with Daredevil. And I think 
Razor Fist shows up in that arc. So maybe in the back of my mind, his his name was flying around there. Maybe that was part of it. I have no idea. I've always thought it was because of the Alice Cooper song, um, Freedom, where he says, raise your fist and yell, but he's slurring because he's a drunken fuck. And so it sounds like he says, raise your fist. Uh, but I don't know. It's a combination of those things. So, yeah, I, I, I assure you, I don't look that good in a unitard. Nobody does. Uh, that's the lie Hollywood Stick sells us yourself. when they make these Marvel movies. <laughs> right. All right, Mary. Fine. Who are you going to be for Halloween? Power Girl? Captain Marvel? Your choice. I'm not going to be anything for Halloween. I'm an adult. <laughs> right. uh, yo, Halloween is the most adult holiday. What are you talking about? I'm not going to dress up for Halloween. Why would I do that? I'm not a 21-year-old girl that walks around with a bunny tail on her ass. Oh, my God. I knew it. God. Hey, I'm I'm going to be – I'm a cat. Did yeah. You know I got cat ears on and a tail. It's fantastic. I'm not a fucking 21-year-old special person who right. hasn't sorted out <laughs> that nobody gives a shit. <laughs> she walks around in, in thigh-high uh, fishnets. Like, I'm good. Right. There is bad. The girls with the cat with the bunny ears or the cat ears are at least as bad as the people who wear the shirt that says Halloween costume. Fuck those boomers. (laughs) Fuck those fucking cheating boomers. I I love. Is that a blow up doll on his front? I don't know, Mary, but I typed in worst Halloween costumes and this popped up. So isn't that like the sex cult from Eyes Wide Shut or something going on there? I don't know. It's from redbook.com, I, a website I would never normally go to. Right. Okay. Yeah. They're, let's see. I'll actually get the story for the one that's on screen. So that is Sasha Baron Cohen and Isla Fisher as dot, dot, dot. Well, we're not quite sure who they were. Isla threw on a wig, tutu, and cat mask while her husband wore a monkey mask and carried a doll. Maybe it was an inside joke. Hmm. I wouldn't mind putting a blow up doll like, like, scissor it or whatever i feel like i'd have a hard time walking walking folks you heard it here first mary is going to scissor a doll this halloween so make sure you subscribe to world class culture as well as mary mayhem for all your scissoring doll updates just kicking around the idea i was gonna do it i'd like sasha baron cohen to go as a guy who didn't make a shitty borat sequel wow yeah that movie sucked I mean, the, I was never a fan of the stupidity of all of it anyway. I, I wasn't a big fan of Borat in the first place. I know I'm going to get crucified for that. but Oh, Mary, we should change the name of this show to What Doesn't Mary Like? <laughs> Every week, Borat! Oh, you're breaking my heart, what? Mary. What? I'm trying very hard, thank you. I've spent the last five days enriching myself with uh, horror culture. Come on. The, the part at the beginning of the first movie with the feminist Algonquin, where he's like, I could not listen to what this old man was saying. Like, come on, come on. <laughs> no, it was just, it went, I think it went a little over in my head for what it was at the time. Right. Um, I didn't realize it was quite the troll thing that it was. And by that point I was like, oh, that's stupid. Right. So. I, I wasn't sober for it. So a lot of the humor and a lot of that movie was lost on me. But the daughter, was it Tutar or Tudor or whatever her name was? That dance she did made me laugh. <laughs> I got that going for it. So now, Mary, you brought up uh, that you're being enriched uh, culturally through better living through horror movies. And I thought that would make a perfect little 
uh, you know, mini segment here on the channel. So tell the audience what you've been up to. So, okay. So never let it be said that I didn't want, like, take what you guys have to say and listen to it and imbibe it and apply it to my life in a proactive way. So uh, in the spirit of Halloween, I have spent every day thus far uh, of the month watching a scary movie. And I watched several so far. And I, I think I'm like five down 20, 26 to go, five down, 25 to go, whatever day that is. Um, and it's been enlightening and terrifying and funny in places, way funnier than I expected it to be. And so um, I did a little better last night with uh, the horror movie than I've been doing previously. I think maybe I'm becoming desensitized mm. to scary stuff. I'm not sure. Oh, really? Are you desensitized to me yet? No, I don't know that that's possible, Jeff. I'm not yeah, being honest with you. I think the top three layers of skin just peeled off my body here. <laughs> what? what the fuck was that? <laughs> All right. So God welcome damn. to Buffalo Jeff. The kind, of, <laughs> the kind of voice that ought to come with assless chaps in a windowless van. A little alarming. He did that shit a few minutes ago when I was trying to murder the spider. Hey, and Mary. I got so mad at him. Would you like to hear something funny, Mary? I don't know. Do I? <laughs> I recorded that whole segment. No, you didn't. When you started screaming, I pulled my phone out and filmed the whole thing. I thought it was hilarious. No, you did not. I won't play it on air to embarrass you, but if you'd like, you, I can send you the video clip. You can play it on air. I don't give a shit. Oh, okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, there's no... It's just a screen, so I'm not going to pull, pull up the video, but I will play the audio for you. Uh, apparently Mary does not like spiders. No, it was like it was on the roof. <laughs> Why are you not There's the video, Mary. I told you I did. I'm a man of my word. <laughs> I, I can't believe you recorded that shit. Why? Just, I needed a I'm good laugh. Ammunition. The I'm just going to leave the stream and go shudder about something else. <laughs> I didn't realize it had that effect. I'm going to take that as a compliment and continue on. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't realize it had that effect. Why would it you keep the, doing it? That's like I'm gonna call that your Crispin Glover voice. That's what Ooh. I'm gonna do. I would like to meet Crispin Glover. Right? For many other I think reasons. a lot of people probably would until they actually meet him. I have heard a story about him from multiple people. If you will humor him and watch his one-man show, he'll sign your back to the future disc or whatever you bring if you will humor him for his one-man show. I actually want to watch the one-man show independently of an autograph because Crispin Glover is really out there and whatever right? he's going to make makes sense to him, so I want to watch it. I'd be like, fuck Back to the Future. Let me just watch Crispin Glover rave for like 50 minutes, please. Just let, let him talk about fucking moon rocks and goddamn transdimensional elves. He's like Alex Jones that way. You just wind him up and let him go. <laughs> 
I'm sorry, that was funny. <laughs> I never I never would have described him that way, but dang, it's right. That's spot on. No, it's true. That's, that's spot yeah. on. <laughs> it was a great analogy. Now, Mary, since we're talking about Crispin Glover, when you get through more horror movies, find yourself a copy of Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, and watch it. It stars Crispin Glover, and it's got a pretty, it's actually got really good kills. That's a solid one. So, so my, my standard here with the scary movies is that I'm starting off kind of like slow, right? Because I'm not stupid and I want to like throw myself into the deep end and rage quit and be like, I can't do this. Right. So if I get into the slashers, it won't be until the back end of the month. Right. I will wait until I've absorbed more of the horror core. Uh, and then, then we'll give it a go. So you said Friday, the 13th, the, the fourth Friday, the 13th. How many now, are they? Oh, God, 13 of them. Yeah, they're up to like part pie, I think. I don't know. <laughs> Mary, if you want to watch a good one, or do you want to watch like an iconic one? Because if you want to watch an iconic one, watch three where he gets the hockey mask. But if you want to watch one with awesome kills that are over the top and kind of funny, watch part six. They're you all kind of schlocky and shitty, so. I, I never thought that horror movies could be funny until I watched a trick trick R treat. This trick R treat the other night. And that was legitimately like I was actually amused, like really amused by this thing. Mainly I think it's because I didn't like any of the people. I was completely like, even that jackass kid. I was like, ah, fuck him, right? Like he could slash his throat and I probably wouldn't cry too hard. And like, sure enough, spoiler alert, yeah, the kid <laughs> gets straight up decapitated um and i don't know why i don't know why but the, the thing was just i don't know amusing to me i don't know why it was well, i don't i don't know what kind of genius it takes to make that stuff amusing but it was well you're taking your first step into a larger world razor do you have any favorites uh in a horror genre oh yeah <laughs> i'm ever since i was a little kid and saw puppet master long before i should have um, <laughs> uh, i've loved all the puppet master movies. Um, God, growing up, you know, I'm not the biggest horror guy, but I love when I get a really, really good horror, like alien obviously is like the all time classic. Um, that's another one of my favorites. I, I dig the 2006, the original silent Hill movie. Um, I did too. The the second one is total bubbling bullshit, but the first (laughs) one is great. It's, you know, it's not exactly one-to-one, the video games, but it has the same atmosphere, the same kind of aesthetic. I think Christoph Gantz did a good job with it. I actually dig that movie. I remember that kill in the church with the the, the barbed wire. That was, uh, that was a gnarly Oh, movie. yeah, yeah. Or where he rips off the one chick's skin. Fucking yeah. brilliant. God damn. So there's a stream out there somewhere uh, where I watch Alien for the first time and I get physically ill. Nice. Don't. Yeah. You know what, Mary? I won't make fun of you because true story. My mom went and saw that movie back in '79. That was she was one of the people that went and puked in the fucking bathroom because she was so bothered by that movie. Yeah, it was so. God, the thing is, okay, yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, it was gross. It's gross. Now. It's nasty. We'll keep everything, you know, flowing, folks. But D-Day Direwolf has a great question for Mary via Super Chat. Has she seen The Thing yet? Mary, have you seen The Thing? 
No, but I will. So here's what I'm going to do, because a lot of people have made a lot of suggestions. If you have suggestions for me and I will write that down, I'll write the thing down. But if you have suggestions for me, because it's a lot to take from the chat, um, go go holler at me on Twitter. OK, I have I have a post and I'll, I'll be reposting again tonight, the, the movie. Um, and so in that thread, just throw your suggestions and I'm taking them from there. A lot of them are coming from there, but I'm watching. So, um, the thing I'll write it down and then, yeah, if you have suggestions for what you'd like me to see, just to kind of streamline that head on over to Twitter and, and holler at me there. Thinking about you should watch the uh, new Biden horror movie. You know, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> like we just, me getting sick over alien what are you trying to do to me right, right now? <laughs> now mary the gore is what gets you right some of the the tenseness and the, the gore the and the gore, body horror the gore the body horror yeah that's that's like the the far that's the that's the far end of the scale for me do you want to make a lot of uh super chats in a stream I mean, live, just live, seriously, live stream your reaction of watching the thing. Don't Google it. Don't do anything. Just guarantee, like promise yourself you're going to watch it and live stream your reaction. I guarantee you're going to react amazingly and the audience is going to love it. I'm going to fucking watch it if you do it. Okay. All right. I, I will, I will make time to do that this Halloween season. I think we can do that. Uh, TLJ Screwjob, I did. I did not miss anyone's. I just saw that real quick and that was a recommendation uh, because I thought it was on topic. But uh, like I said, folks, we will get to those in just a moment. So, Razor, what's up? We got Bond coming out. Uh, we do. I'm going to go see it tomorrow. I have tickets to go see it at that Chinese theater, the one that everybody thinks of from Star Wars. It's just a regular movie theater, but it is cool to get to go see James Bond on the big screen. Oh, so they're having like a two days early premiere or some some shit. Yeah, I just, uh, Anna, that Star Wars girl, Jesse and I are all going up there tomorrow to check it out. So folks, check your Instagram and all your social media platforms for Anna's posts, my posts, all the fun posts. But yeah, yeah I do have tickets for it for tomorrow. And I am not, the some of the changes in this movie has really, I don't know, brought me back to a normal feeling towards a movie. Like I would a regular film. Like, okay, this could be cool. This could be terrible. I am so... I don't know in the right mindset for this movie. Uh, how do you I've feel heard, man? I've heard it's going to be, and, and I've heard this from bond fans that it is going to be polarizing. Ooh. And I've already seen the gamut. So it's, it's already reflecting that as far as just the European, cause it's already out in Europe. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So some of the European reviews are, are definitely, they're spanning all strata. It's either, Holy God, this is like unicorn blowjobs. It's unbelievable. And then there's people who are like, wow this thing killed my grandma it's like there's no in between there's no in between so i'm wondering what the fuck and i'm trying to avoid spoilers there's probably it's, but it's Unicorn you know something clearly something clearly major happens or or several major things happen in this that's gonna piss off a lot of people so i don't know but i'll i'll give it a whirl um i i don't like Daniel Craig at all Nor do as, I. as James Bond. I haven't liked him in any of these movies. So, you know, I'm kind of approaching it uh, tabula rasa anyways. I have a weird, like my take on Bond is kind of traditional in the you know some regards, but then very different. Um, Daniel Craig, I was not excited for him to be James Bond in 2005 when they announced him. What? You didn't wrong. think to yourself, wait a minute, the guy from Tomb Raider. Fuck, he's made for this. Shit. <laughs> My first thought I told was, you guys. 
I don't think he's attractive. I don't understand why anybody would put him in that role in the first yeah, place. Doesn't he? He looks like an Easter Island statue. The motherfucker. Like, I call him Daniel <laughs> Craig. Wow, that's such a great comparison. <laughs> what? And wow. And I don't get how they fired Roger Moore because he, well, they didn't fire Roger Moore. He stepped out. But like, you know, people talk about how in his last movie, View to a Kill, which is a masterpiece, by the way. Um, <laughs> How in a view to a kill, he looked too old. And it's like, have you seen Daniel Craig? He looks like a baseball glove. Like, what the fuck? And he's looked that way for the last, like, two movies. What the yeah. fuck are you people talking about? Roger Moore I looked was... younger when he was older. Agreed. <laughs> I, I was working on a Bond video last night, and I had an image from Casita Real as one of the earlier images in the video. And I'm like, God damn, Daniel Craig does not look the same. Now, I know it's been 15 years he's been playing James Bond for a long time, but you are right in terms of that, you know, your assessment of the age thing. I've always looked at Daniel Craig as he looks like a great Bond villain. Like if they wanted to modernize Red Grant, Robert Shaw from From Russia with Love, he's that kind of guy. He looks like the evil Russian that would fight James Bond and maybe even survive a movie or two, come back. Eh, not really. Well, let's uh, just I, be real. Like the only reason that he got hired, and I've maintained this for years, is because when he like as soon as he came out of the water in that fucking speedo i was like oh i see what's going on here they're kind of trying to get the female market a little bit more with this it, bond than it some didn't work it didn't work yeah. because i'm i can sit here and i can tell you like as as a chick i haven't seen any of his movies like i right. i've seen i saw the stuff back in the day with pierce brosnan and that was good. Like I, I like I'm not a huge 007 fan. I'm not, I'm not. I wouldn't even call myself a 007 fan at all. If they were looking <clears throat> to drag ladies into the market, they should have gone about picking someone who didn't look like Smeagol, right? Like it, it really just didn't work. He's not an attractive guy. I don't care how ripped you are. If it looks exactly. like someone hit your face with a truck, then I'm not here for it. Yeah. Doctor Coffin nails totally nailed it. Barbara Broccoli wants his day. I swear. Yep. When no when. If I swear during that audition process or whatever happened there, the moment Daniel Craig entered the room, the fucking dew point must have raised by like 20 degrees. Barbara Broccoli <laughs> wants to nail this dude. I don't know why. I don't know why she's got such a lady heart on for him, but uh, yeah, big time for some reason. Look at that. Styling yeah. and profiling. Oh my God. Look at that bull cut, man. What the hell? Have you noticed how a young Daniel Craig looks just like old Daniel Craig? He looks like took, he took scissors to his own hair. Here. No, he looks like the bodyguard for the Lollipop Guild. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I like I said, I'm going in as, as open-minded as I can. I'm interested in a polarizing James Bond film because it's been a polarizing time to be a James Bond fan for me. I loved the Brosnan era. Is it perfect? No. Die Another Day is a bad film, but GoldenEye was great. Tomorrow Never Dies is ahead of its time. The World Is Not Enough has something important to say. I felt like Daniel Craig movies, the whole films, they were embarrassed of being Bond movies. I'll tell you, when I saw Skyfall, the first time he says his name, Bond, James Bond, in that Chinese casino, I went, oh, wait, we're watching a James Bond movie. Like That's how my right. brain was so removed from the hallmarks of that series. They were embarrassed they wanted to change i get you know wanting to make a movie modernized for the audience and people say no you don't you want the class the classic characters pierce brosnan was a modernized sean connery it worked for in that context whatever political correctness became rampant post 1995 
they I don't know. It's like you have the coolest property on the planet, but now you're embarrassed of it and you try to deconstruct it. Deconstruction yeah, really I, has I, killed entertainment. Well, and I think also you have to keep in mind like the time frame. God, Brosnan was a perfect Bond, but the problem was he was Bond during an era when what's Bond at the end of the what are the Bond movies, right? They're they're action movies. What was less cool than action movies in the 90s when Brosnan took over, right? Like this was after 80s action movies. That thing was dead, right? And in the 90s, there was this whole period like from like 1992 to whenever the Matrix came out, 99 or whatever, where Hollywood had literally no fucking clue what an action movie needed to be in order to sell. Right. Just all throughout the 90s, it was weird for action movies. We had that whole Seagal thing happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it yep. was really, really weird. So he had an unenviable task and he actually rose to the occasion. So you kind of have to doff hat to Brosnan on that one. So it makes sense. If you look at the end there, you just mentioned die another day. Fucking what were they doing there? a bunch of CGI, a bunch of real funky shit. They were trying to play keeping up with the Joneses with the Matrix and shit. That's what they were going with. It was, you know, winds up surfing <laughs> with the, I, like, blue screen surfing and whatnot. Yeah. Like, very, very, very early aughts CGI-soaked action movie. Very much that. And, I never... Um, okay, sorry. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I, was like, I never made the Matrix comparison. See, I'm not mind blown, but I always looked at like in 1999, any movie, any action movie, any bigger budget, whatever, everybody had their own interpretation of the future. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like a the digital age, what they thought the year 2000 was going to be. You know, everyone thought once that countdown hit, the world was going to change. We all did. Then it happened and it changed a year later, if you know what I'm talking about. Right. But all of these movies that were trying to be futuristic uh, once the matrix came out, now I'm looking at die another day in a different way. It seems more dated and less technological than the one that came before. If the world is not enough, that feels like it's tapping into whatever the matrix got in terms of like technology in action, not in terms yeah. of quality, just action, weird techie shit. Well, and then sense. what was the next trend, right? Was superhero <laughs> movies and the Dark Knight and Chris Nolan and whatever. And that's basically what they did with Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig is, you know, he's the Bond Knight. And that's probably <laughs> why Quantum of Solace, people fucking take a righteous shit on that terrible movie, is because it was like, that movie came out in what, 2009 or something like that? By then, kind of, people were over the Dark Knight thing already. It died pretty quick. Like, that whole Nolan style thing that everybody started to copy, it got really tired real quick. So well, they had Casino Royale, and that was fine. But then you tried to go to it again, and it just kind of showed that when you go a little too far in that direction, it stops being serious, and it just becomes fucking bland. Right? Yeah. I mean, we have seen James Bond since Daniel Craig's taken over. His brother is now Blofeld, which is dumb beyond <laughs> which is very Dark Knight, Chris Nolan. Like, it's very superhero movie. Dude, I have read. I'll send you these articles if you're interested. Basically, the Dark Knight and Skyfall are the same movie. And people have for years gone and made these comparisons. And when you break it down like that, that's what again, this is Bond trying to cash in on the the, the craze. Die another, or sorry, 08, Quantum of Solace, and Dark Knight Drop. 
they're looking at the Dark Knight. They're trying to make James Bond this superhero, and so they copy it one-to-one. That's why this era of Bond is garbage, not because every movie's bad or I hate Daniel Craig because he should look a certain way. Anytime a Bond movie does not create a trend but follows a trend, that's every single time, folks. When Bond comes out in 62, Dr. No, the spy craze is created. It's, oh, it, yeah. blows, it blows up. Everything that copies James Bond was pretty solid. You had got tons of shit. I'm not even going to try to start. I mean, Avengers, um, The Saint, all that stuff, just boom, everywhere. But when you get to the later 60s, uh, not later 60s, but when you get to the 70s, Bond tries to cash in on Star Wars and Moonraker shit. James Bond tries to cash in on the Jason Bourne stuff in Quantum of Solace. That is shit. Big all, time Jason time, Bourne, yeah. Dude, I am that is a series I am so glad it's dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I can't, because it... it it was a good, those were good movies and I enjoyed the stories, but damn it, the damage they did and the colorless, ugly action they created permeated entertainment for years. Yeah. yeah. See also Matrix for me. I, I think that was another one that was like, I think Matrix, Jason Bourne, the, those those two movies, I'm trying to think of another one. Well, The Dark Knight too. You know, those, those movies really had, uh, you know, there's there's one thing to be influential, but once you become like almost an albatross where everybody has to mimic you, you know what I mean? That's yeah. kind of what those three movies or three franchises rather uh, wound up doing. I think one of the biggest victims of the Dark Knight um, effect, meaning films where they under their own choice try to copy the Dark Knight, was The Amazing Spider-Man. Because for as bullshit as Spider-Man 3 was, you followed that to try to make a dark gritty spider-man movie and you were so tonally broken that by the next movie you tried to do something else and you killed your franchise right away right spider-man he's just as big as batman it blew my mind well yeah and um there's another uh punisher war zone which i fucking love uh best punisher movie by far for me but punisher war zone originally they were really gonna steer in whether one of the reasons it's so good is it's like a 80s action punisher movie but not like the dolph lundgren movie uh but like you know it's kind of just this over the top sort of in your face it, it brought back classic action movies in a lot of ways just hyper violence but originally that movie was gonna have like more of a flat out 80s like almost a synth soundtrack sort of a, it was going to be hobo with a shotgun before hobo with a shotgun and for whatever reason the studio stepped in it was the first marvel production if i'm not mistaken and they stepped in and were like no 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 no. the dark knight's popular the soundtrack's gonna sound like the dark knight so they literally stepped in and like shit on the soundtrack i think that sound that 80s style soundtrack probably would have fit the film better actually agreed because I thought that movie, I'm in the weird camp. I like the Thomas Jane Punisher, the director's cut. That's when I close my eyes and think Punisher movie, that version. John Bernthal's great. Ray Stevenson's fine. Dolph Lundgren's Dolph Lundgren. But the identity of that movie is non-existent. It, it's like, it's it's a weird gray movie for me. Like, I, I remember watching it, but I don't remember it, if that makes sense. It didn't stick with me. What are you, you're talking about Punisher Warzone? Yeah, sorry, sorry, I overspoke. Yeah, Punisher Warzone. It just it didn't stick with me. Like I remembered um, Julie Benz and Jigsaw, but I couldn't. You didn't tell you the remember him punching a henchman through the head? No. 
<laughs> I need to go back and watch this. Dude, this movie's awesome. You need to go back and the rocket launcher on the parkour guys. I love that. Like whoever wrote the movie, the parkour was the big trend in films at the time. And the movie literally just it was like, okay, every action movie has to have parkour. We'll put parkour in the movie. And then we'll have f the fucking Punisher blow up one of the guys with a goddamn rocket launcher, like literally just shitting over the entire trend. I fucking love it. It's a great movie. And and um, fucking Jimmy McNulty from The Wire as, as Jigsaw, just chewing up scenery. That movie's a blast. Yeah. God, the, the makeup work is awesome on that. Holy shit. No, that movie's great, and and Ray Stevenson, I I I do like Thomas Jane, and actually Thomas Jane is not just good in his movie. He didn't have that great of a script, unfortunately, but he's he's a good Punisher. Um, but he's also good in the Punisher video game from two thousand three or four, whenever that was the THQ game. I remember that. I didn't know he did the voice though. Yeah, I like Ray Stevenson a little more just because he looks more like a normal like vigilante he's not quite so muscle bound so he, true he's a little bit more of like uh you could see him roaming the streets as a vigilante like death wish style he, mary you gotta watch this movie the punisher warzone punisher oh, warzone, warzone. <clears throat> oh okay i mean you know me <laughs> it's it looks bloody very yeah you got to expand your horizons and desensitize yourself oh my god like he blows a guy's face off with a shotgun it's like uh oh spaghettios <laughs> why would i want to see that who wants chef boy rd i do all right mary all right uh <laughs> folks we're going to take a second and uh, check in with you guys. So, Razor, since you've been here, we've uh, implemented some buttons. Do me a favor. Between 1 and 17, pick a number. Uh-oh. What? Hold on to your butt. Between 1 and 17, please pick a number. Uh, what are these? The ages of Leo DiCaprio's last two girlfriends? <laughs> <laughs> no. So what we do is I'll I pick a number and I'll press a transition button. Okay, uh, we'll go five. Uh, uh, uh. Oh no, not again. There we go. Fantastic. <laughs> did I just watch? Mary, it's a little film called Spaceballs. Watch it. Yeah, oh, Spaceballs. Fucking masterpiece. Who hasn't watched Spaceballs? Come on. I'm sure someone out there in the ether hasn't watched Spaceballs. Folks, if you're listening to this and you've not seen Spaceballs, you don't have to tell me. You don't have to embarrass yourself, but go out, get yourself a copy. Hell, go back to VHS if you have to, but watch Spaceballs. It's a great movie. You won't regret it. The The cartoon series also exists. Uh, wasn't that on G4? I don't remember, but I, I remember it just kind of coming and going like a really small fart. I do too. I watched it in college. Yeah, it was on G4. Okay. Uh, let's see. It, it was around for how many episodes? A whopping 13 episodes. Yeah, it lasted like one small season and whatever. There were there were some good gags. I remember they kind of took the piss out of Anita Sarkeesian a little bit, which was kind of, I was like, whoa, Mel Brooks making fun of, what the fuck? 
but yeah, they kind of made fun of that whole um, women comparing uh, complaining about misogyny in video games thing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was this good gag where uh, Princess Vespa is like complaining that Lone Star is playing video games or so- somebody's playing video games, and she and she's like, "Hand, hand me the controller." <laughs> and he's like, "What? Now you want to play video games?" She's like, "Well, yeah. If that's the only way I can complain about them, fuck." <laughs> <laughs> What? Yes. But yeah, I think that's episode two, Grand Theft Starship. Yeah, yeah. It, there, there's some okay parts in it. It's not. It's not completely terrible. They have a uh, James Bond parody, which is perfect for this week. It's titled Right. Yeah, it's Fish Finger. President Scrooge has a plan to take over the galaxy's fish supply. Lone Star, aka Double O Sven, must stop Scrooge, aka Fish Finger. Nice. It actually sounds okay. Where is this? What is your bond, anyways? Like your, because I know you're a big 007 guy. What is what is your bond? You mean my actor or film? Actor era, you know whatever. Uh, see, I was a kid that grew up watching them all, but I'd be lying. Goldeneye is my absolute favorite, but Brosnan and Connery are just. It's hard to separate them because James Bond is like a. Obviously, he's a character played by many people, but they each represent something equally important to me. So it's if I have to pick one, I'll just I'll just fucking say Pierce Brosnan because I like Goldeneye more than the other movies. But it's not a a good answer. Pierce Brosnan may be like the most complete Bond actor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he had the physic. You could believe him in a fight, like in a gunfight, whatever. Um, You could believe him railing some dopey broad, even if she was uh, pretending to be a nuclear physicist. (laughs) um you could you could believe him in you know spy scenes gadget scenes whatever but he could also do a one-liner too so he was he kind of had the best of both worlds on that um i didn't watch all the bond movies until like a year ago or something like that and i had never watched a roger moore movie and realized as i was watching through them that roger moore is my favorite bond um, it was the first time I'd ever watched any of his movies. And uh, yeah, I've, I, I'm a big fan now. Which is your favorite of his? Live and Let Fucking Die. Yes. Amazing. That's so, a top five for me. Oh, it's so good. So good. He gets the... I love that they take the PPK away from him and he's got the big fucking fuck off uh, Dirty Harry revolver. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's fucking great. Uh, Baron uh, Samity... Fucking, yep. I, I sorry. I, I grew up calling him Baron Semedi or something like that. When I, you know, because you just see it written on a screen when you're playing the N64 game, so yep. you don't know how it's spoken. But uh, yeah, I I love all the villains in that. I I just that movie kicks ass. I have I can't say enough nice things about Live and Let Die. It's got a great score. It's got a great song from Paul McCartney and Wings. Everything. You know, normally when I do my Bond marathons, obviously I start at the beginning, and when I get through the Connery ones, I start to get a little like, oh, I can't wait to get to Goldeneye, my absolute favorite. But when I get to Live and Let Die, nothing else matters. This movie, the only reason I didn't buy any of the collectibles from it is because the company that's putting them out currently, Big Chief Studios, did a bad job. But I fucking, for as much as I'll shit on Roger Moore movies like Octopussy and Moonraker, I have nothing bad to say about this one. Yeah, yeah. That and... I, I like pretty much all the Roger Moore movies. Uh, the only one I thought was a bit of a snooze is For Your Eyes Only. 
Um, but I, but I dug all of, and I've gone back and watched for your eyes only and actually came away with a slightly more positive appraisal of it. But like a view to a kill. I mean, he's fighting Christopher Walken in a midair blimp fight on the golden gate fucking bridge. I, that's a sentence. Okay. That's a yeah. sentence. <laughs> I, I love that fucking movie. And there's a robot. I don't know why, but there's a robot. Rocky um, four had a robot. That's why. Yeah, well, yeah, that was the big trend at the time. Actually, I seem to remember they wanted to get a a robot of some kind that is popular in another movie franchise or something, and they couldn't get it. The producers, I mean. So they just made this little fuck off robot and put it in the movie. I forget exactly which one it was, though, if it was the one from Rocky or what it, what it was. But... I love that movie. It's I do too. People people say, "Oh, he stuck around for one movie too long." Fuck you. He should have been in The Living Daylights too. He should still be Bond. They should resurrect him. <laughs> what about his Bond speaks to you on such a, you know, deep level? Well, I think he's actually pretty good. Like as much as people claim it's the one-liners and whatever, which he is brilliant at. Um I like that he's a little bit more posh and like comes across more. He has more of that uh, London kind of uh, accent to him. He seems comes across more like a gentleman, right? Which is there's certainly an aspect of that if you read the Ian Fel uh, Ian Fleming books, right? Connery's a little more of a brute, um, so it's I like that. And I think he's he's not half bad when you actually let him do some of the darker, uh, more assassiny kind of 007 stuff. Unfortunately, he didn't get to very much. But some of the like we were just talking about live and let die. You remember that part where <laughs> he just he just rammed this chick on the beach and yep. he he whips out the tarot card and he's like, yes, this this means a deceptive woman. And he puts a gun in her face and he says, and now you're going to tell me exactly what you know. And she's like, you wouldn't do that, not after what we just did. <laughs> and he's like, well, I certainly wouldn't have done it before. <laughs> Fucking stone cold. You know what I mean? Like, that's classic, yeah. classic shit. I, oh, man. I wish tonally they would have stuck with Live and Let Die, not in terms of the horror or the, you know, black exploitation crossover, just him. Because when he gets a little more romantic around the spy who loved me and Moonraker is when I kind of lose Roger Moore. The Whatever he presents in The Man with the Golden Gun, while it's a terrible movie, I at least enjoy... Like, I believe he's able to keep up with Scaramanga. He's a decent shot. He's a great shot. All that shit. Like, I believe that. The later well, yeah, we get, and he's, Oh, my God. He's fucking smacking bitches around. And Have you watched Man with the Golden Gun recently? He's I've seen him all enough to remember him, so... When oh my god, he's going on. He, he goes off on that one chick like Bing Crosby, like just fucking smacking her from <laughs> you're just like, what? <laughs> he's Poor actually older. might go over, slightly go over the line on that one, but yeah, Man with the Golden Gun gets a lot of shit. But I actually like that movie. I like the song, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I like the Alice Cooper song. That was you, you know about that, right? They were originally supposed to have Alice Cooper do the theme song, and he got the song in a day late. So they, I didn't know the history of it. I've I've heard the recording. Yeah, so they so they went with the Lulu song instead. Yeah, wasn't she just like married to a BG, and that's the only reason she was famous or some dumb shit like that? I don't know. Well, <laughs> hey, hey, whatever. 
Say what? If Billie Eilish can be famous, there's hope for anyone. Dude, I have sat and listened to the new Bond score. Never done that before, but I've been uh, fulfilling packages and stuff and needed music. And so I put that on. The score from Hans Zimmer is, is fine. But when I got to that No Time to Die track with Billie Eilish, I just was like, fuck this and turned it off. She is not that good. And they have lost the their way. This song and the Sam Smith song, they are chasing trends with bad singers. Like, that's all it is. They haven't had anything great in years. Yeah, yeah, they really are. I mean, I like the kind of core musical motif of the Skyfall song. Oh, I and, love that song. And whatever that Chris Cornell song is. Same, uh, love that one too. The, you know my was, name? Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, everything else has been shit though. Everything, <laughs> every other. What was that shit with Jack White? And, yeah. and, and Alicia Keys. Oh yeah, Alicia Keys. They fucking dug her up from the dead. Who the fuck has talked about Alicia Keys since 2003? What the fuck? <laughs> okay, that's not fair though. Fallen is like forever. <laughs> like, did, I, did I strike a nerve there? Like I, I did want to flip a little table. I actually have a little table here. I'll flip it. Right. <laughs> Keep that is there a up, spider on the table, man? No, it's just a little wooden table that I keep around when the rage takes over. Right. <laughs> I can just flip it. Um, no, it's like, I mean, what are you talking about? Alicia Keys is amazing. She's, she's not amazing in that song. So let's uh, let's see. Uh, we had a bunch of messages because some of them are recommendations for you, Mary. So uh, we definitely want to get homework assignments. Right. Well, our first one comes from uh, our friend Cesario Japan. It's not a recommendation, but he says, remember Donald Pleasance, Blofeld and You Only Live Twice, born on this day, October 5th, 1919. Also search for Mock the Weak Bond for a game idea. Cesario Japan, I went ahead and did that before the show. Um, so I'm going to implement that. I'm going to send that to you, Mary. We may have found something fun to play each week here on the channel. Okay. Go I, now, I, I always love that too when people are like, God, the Brosnan movies and the Roger Moore movies, they got so ridiculous. And you're like, Sean Connery in The Only Live Twice, mm -hmm. got, he got weeaboo surgery to turn Japanese so he could find an under, he could, so he could assault an underground volcano lair with an army of ninjas to find a spaceship <laughs> that eats other fucking spaceships. And it was written by Rule Dull. What? This is a sentence. This is a thing that happened. And it's all written by Roald Dahl, the guy who wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, for fuck's sake. Was he on shrooms? I don't understand. Right? Yeah. Mary, could yeah? you tell if Sean Connery's James Bond had plastic surgery to look more Japanese from this photo? <laughs> Mary, there is a scene where they show them put prosthetic eyelids on James Bond's face. Right, you can't. Are see, you serious? You can't see the Evangelion body pillow underneath him. But uh... <laughs> wait, what was the point of it? Was he playing like a Japanese guy? He fake. He faked his death. Was that it? He faked his death yep. so that he could go deep undercover as a Japanese gentleman, as the tallest, buffest Japanese gentleman ever that's ever existed in the history of of Japanese guy. What yes. the fucking fuck? What am yeah. I looking at right now? And apparently, the way you turn Japanese is to turn into Mister Fucking Spock. <laughs> 
<laughs> Anything else seems wrong. It does though. Like seriously, look at the eyebrows. They're pointed up just perfectly at the all he needs is a pointy fucking ear and he's on point. Right. That's great. Oh my god. Well, Mary, you could watch this scene and you could also watch James Bond get married in that movie. Look how great that is. <laughs> oh Why no. Why would he get married? It's Bond James Bond. So he it's a green a card waifu. wedding. Oh, God, he looks like shit. That's really, really awful to look at. Can I just like say that this is unsettling for me to look at? I'm uncomfortable. I think towards the end, the Bond movies were just an excuse for Sean Connery to try on different hair pieces, actually. You know what my brain went to immediately? <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't ready. I don't know why I wasn't ready for that. My brain went immediately. Have you ever seen to um uh have you ever seen uh Breakfast at Tiffany's or Mickey Rooney? Yep. <laughs> Yoshiniba or whatever his name was. Yes. And he keeps pitching a fit every other night. I protest. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of here. <laughs> We've ruined it for Giovanni. Uh, he can't unsee the Spock comparison now. <laughs> no, it's you'll never unsee it. <laughs> Donald Pleasance is fucking great in that movie. I love that movie, by the way. I'm making fun of it, but it's it's a fucking masterpiece. I love You Only Live Twice. I love what it does for the Bond series, but man, there are times when it just grinds to a halt. Like, I guess I had to be alive in 1967 because it's selling you like because it went to Japan. That was the big selling point. So we're growing up in the 90s where it's like everything's from Japan. You watch enough shit from Japan. It's like, oh, so James Bond went to Japan. OK, that's the appeal. Where's right. the great like the the shootout at the chemical plant is whatever the boat. The helicopter chase is cool. Little Nelly's neat. And the ending's great, too. But like. I like Thunderball more and Honor Majesty's Secret Service more. You only live twice as sandwich between two of my favorites. And so it's just like, I don't know, bad cheese or something. I man. thought I thought the scene with Logan Paul in the suicide forest was an odd directoral choice. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> what the fuck? That came out. I love that edit, dude. Oh man. <laughs> so <Jesus. cool. laughs> Holy hell. Well, Mary, I got some holy hell for you. Uh-oh. Do I? I don't. I don't. I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Oh, okay. I was. I was literally bracing myself. I was just like clutching the teddy bear foot with the little beanies in its foot, just like, well, okay, this is fine. Mary, speaking of clutches, I will put you in the camel clutch and break your back and make you humble. Why do I? You know what? Why do I come here? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I you see what I have to put up back, with, Mary? I can make sure you never show up anywhere again. <laughs> necessary <laughs> it's like serial killer asmr right i have a channel i'm working on with it so it's right people keep clearly people keep sending in stuff about it so awesome uh 13 roger says let us mourn the death of bond and the soon-to-be death of indiana jones and the once great house of ideas that was lucasfilm razor so briefly oh go ahead mary oh no 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 no, no. that's fine go ahead are they Razor uh, Indiana Jones five? Do you think Harrison Ford's going to make it to the end of the script or the shoot? <laughs> right. Uh, oh man. I, well, did they? Are they done shooting or are they still going or what the fuck? I think they they're shooting still because he came back from the injury. Right. 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 He. 
I mean, is he about to just turn into dust? Didn't he get injured on the set of Star Wars and shit too? Like, is he, is he just every time he does a movie, he gets horrifically injured? And it's not like he's doing anything crazy. Like, I think the raciest thing he did in the fucking Star Wars movie was like amble down a hallway one time. Like, yeah. how the fuck is he hurting himself? The fuck? Well, when you can't, when walking is a is a difficult task, and you can't get through a, a sliding door quick enough. Maybe you shouldn't take on an Indiana Jones role, which is going to be way more physically demanding. Shit, Harrison Ford got injured playing Indiana Jones as a young man, so I think he knew, he knows the risk, but somebody's paying him enough money to not give a shit. I wish he got so badly injured that he couldn't have made that shitty Blade Runner sequel. Oh, that's mean. (laughs) I have yet to sit down and watch it. That's, you're missing nothing. I do have a new respect for the original, though. Yeah, well, yeah, everyone should. It's a great movie. It's basically well, a bunch of cyberpunk wallpapers strung together. <laughs> what I've done recently um, is just I've enjoyed a lot of I won't say deeper sci-fi because I've always enjoyed it. But there's just something about I don't know that I like a lot. And I've been watching a lot of noirs with Jesse. So basically I've watched enough films like Blade Runner and then gone back and watched Blade Runner again to go, ah, I really do dig this now. So, yeah, you should watch. But if you haven't seen it, I did a video on the film Noir Archives about Blade Runner. It's like an hour long kind of video essay about it. But it's uh, it's my favorite movie. And uh, it's the movie that got me into noir, too, which I'm a huge fan of. So it's a, it's a great fucking film. Uh, it's just a shame he came back for that second one. He looks bored too. Like in the second movie, they bring back Deckard and he's literally just Harrison Ford. That's literally all he is. He's just an old man wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And and he's like ambling around his fucking house in slippers. And you're just like, I'm I'm embarrassed for Harrison Ford right now. Like I, I don't know if I should be. At what point do we start making like the um, the Marvel comparisons with? Um, tell me why I'm gonna get my ass laughed off this fucking stream because I can't remember his name right now. Robert Downey gonna... Jr. No, 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 no. Oh, you know who I'm talking about. Why can't I? Don't. I... Yes, you do. Everybody knows who I'm talking about. Oh, in every single Marvel Marvel movie, and I can't remember his Ken name. Yeah, that Stan guy. Lee? <laughs> Stan Lee. Stan How the fuck, fuck did Lee? you forget Stan because, Lee? Because my brain home. farted. Because my brain completely farted. I, it's not like I don't know who Stan Lee is. I I'm just, gonna cut your brain out. I knew that was good. I knew you were gonna say some shit. It's what are, but at what point are we gonna start drawing those comparisons between uh Stan Lee and like okay, so like he really shouldn't be out of bed anymore and Harrison Ford? I think Harrison Ford has so much more control over his life. He just makes these choices. I the way I picture Harrison Ford as he thinks I'm young enough I can still do it and then he does it and he gets hurt and he goes fuck but then he does it again because it's not that serious of an injury I mean this man has faced death how many times behind the wheel of an airplane and I'd like to give a quick (laughs) shout out to Harrison Ford too no actor no actor in the history of ever has lived their art as much as Harrison Ford do you remember that scene in Indiana Jones in the last crusade Mary or Razor when Harrison or when uh, Sean Connery goes you can fly a plane and he goes fly yes land no (laughs) <laughs> Harrison Ford lives by that every single day because he fucking crashes planes left and right. That yeah, him and Randy Rhodes. <laughs> That's dark. I, and John Denver. What? No, sorry. Rocky Mountain High. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> oh, uh, back to the audience though. Yeah. Oh, crap. Okay. Sorry, folks. It keeps jumping on the other screen. So if there's these weird uh, delays, it's not because Buffalo Jeff has been, uh, you know, here for Mary. All right. So, Primer, thank you very much. Thank you, folks. We now have a, a day of a word of the day. Primer says, "Hail the High Council." The word of the day is anus. There you go, folks. Is That's it the all right? The audience decides here, Mary. I'm good. No, I'm com- I'm completely comfortable with anus. I'm glad you're comfortable with anus. Now, folks, I'd like you to put the word anus in all the Bond titles and make us laugh. <laughs> <laughs> An anus to a kill. How's that for a fucking no, opener? Oh, no. <laughs> Gold I mean, anyway. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. Octa-anus has a nice ring to it, though, too. <laughs> right? The man with the golden anus. I don't know. I'll let the no, crowd do this one. No, no, no. It's just. Never <laughs> mind. Uh, I'll get canceled for making jokes on this channel. Yes. Okay. Well, TLJ Screwjob says, okay, be honest. Is No Time to Die worse than Octopussy? Well, TLJ Screwjob, I will review the film. I'll see the film tomorrow and review it for Thursday. And I will tell you if it's better or worse than Octopussy. I guarantee. Um, I'll probably. Okay, fine. I'll be fair and objective, but I'm probably going to like it more than Octopussy. Mayor McCheese, thank you very much for the super chat. No message, but still greatly appreciated. Thomas Fenton says, apparently the weebs of Nintendo are spurging out because their emo love child Sora just got put in the latest Smash Brothers game. The reactions are cancer. Now, I don't know if the spurging out Thomas is good or bad. I saw the announcement. Razor, did you see the announcement that Sora is joining the uh, Super Smash Brothers crew? Oh boy, my uh, weeaboo anus is all a flutter. Fuck, who gives a <laughs> shit? Oh fucking... man, I care. Come on. Oh yeah, I'm standing over here with my fucking keyblade, and my god, no, <laughs> who gives a shit. <laughs> I like. He's that. nowhere near as cool as Link, so I'm not a. That's fair. I've never been into the Final Fantasy or Kingdom Hearts or any of those games. Mainly Final Fantasy because of the, the turn-based element, nothing because of the design. But I just never gravitate to, to those tor- uh, excuse me, to those types of characters. I like a, I consume a lot of Japanese content, but the stuff I like seems to be either a little more realistic or a little more hard-edged or over the top and crazy, like Berserk and stuff like that. So I'm all about anime. I'm all about I, I don't know the Wee Weeaboo. They're just, they like all this shit, right? They're the ones that are obsessed with it. They're the people that try to act like the anime characters. What? Are the weeaboos, like, are they just fans or do they dress up like the people too? No, they're not people. Uh, Oh. (laughs) They're hippies. Sorry. (laughs) They're not people, they're hippies. (laughs) Weeaboos aren't people. Come on now. No, I, um, they don't feel pain like you or I. Oh, I guess it's still, it's still people's children from cribs. <laughs> <laughs> Do they eat them? They don't procreate on their own, so they have to steal children. Oh, t- <laughs> is that the opening to Batman Returns? Yeah, like the <laughs> penguin from Batman Returns. I was just gonna say, shit. no, it's a weird uh Celtic mythology thing with fairies, <laughs> the, the changeling, like weird right. knowledge i know but no like when they're not exactly human they steal your babies you're, get, get you're getting too literary honest to, <laughs> not Sorry. Mm-hmm. i know stuff i know some stuff just not about james bond right 
It's okay, Mary. Believe me. Uh, I'm not going to hold it against you. Many other things, uh, but yeah. <laughs> so let's continue on. Up next, we have our friend... Uh, YouTube, thank you. By the way, folks, if YouTube dies, well, we all saw it coming. Thomas Fitton, thank you very much again, says, if you want to see a terrible Halloween costume, then take a look at the emos in the Kingdom Hearts cosplay armed with keys, po pocky sticks, and weeb spunk. <laughs> I don't know if we can show weeb spunk on the channel. Yeah. But we can Google Kingdom Hearts cosplay. Is there anything? I did these... This kind of a fan or this kind of a person is very inoffensive to me, but I'm in no way ever going to be a part of this crew. Like, when I see people dress up like this, it shows, fine. If you're having a good time and you're not blocking my table, I don't give a shit. But I, I I'm just, just I, I'm just wondering when we started cause, calling that shit cosplay and not just wearing a fucking costume. Yeah. Okay, that's so what drives hold on, me I'm nuts. a cosplayer. So. That's what, well, that's what drives me nuts, though, is... We, people dressed up in costumes for years at, at fucking comic book conventions long before cosplay became popular in the West. At what point did we just decide that we were all going to be weebs and call it fucking cosplay? It's been happening for decades. Um, the they're I costumes. There's, well, there's a bit to it when you're, when you're cosplaying, um, you're, and again, I, I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not just, I'm not diminishing your take on it. You're, you're entitled to that. But generally speaking, <clears throat> a cosplayer doesn't go out and buy a, a Halloween costume. There's a lot to it. You make it yourself. You, or at least you generally speaking, make it yourself. Yeah, you do, you um, do actually have a point there. But, but <laughs> you could say the same shit of like a Renaissance fair or something. This you could, you stuff. could. And I would, I would uh, say Renaissance uh, costuming would, you could definitely put that in the cosplay right. department. But it's, it's not on Nearly the same as level. Cringy, as like, by the way. <laughs> I mean, everything, anything can be cringe if you like tilt your head and look at it a certain way. Right. right. But, um, but like, in terms of just being a costume, like I didn't go, like we don't get that shit from, you know, spirit Halloween stores. You sit home and you meticulously craft these items. Sometimes you learn how to literally like foam craft. And it's, it's interesting uh, the skills that are involved in creating a lot of these items. So um, like, I, I, but again, I get it. I get it. How from the outside, it like, it just looks like a costume, but a lot of that stuff takes a lot of hard work and effort and energy. Holy love God. What the fuck is that? That's cosplay, Mary. You wanted to That's talk about it? That's not... cosplay right there. Okay, fine. That's unfortunate. Man, movie Bob's moving up in the world. <laughs> Fucking fuck. COVID's been I... rough for everybody. It's well, hard to be my... mad at somebody that committed to the joke, though, right? Right. Yeah. Here's my favorite cosplay right here, Mary. Uh, this <laughs> We should all go dress up as next. <laughs> nope, still not big enough. <laughs> nope. Uh, are you only on PC or what are you playing on uh, mostly these days? Me? Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I'm more of a PC gamer, but I do have an Xbox Series X. That's what I've been rocking this generation. I got one of those, too. Uh, I got lucky to get one on launch day, and I love it. <laughs> How the fuck did you do that? Jesus. It, okay. were you one of, like, did you, like, literally, were you on a hair trigger with the fucking mouse? Like, click. God damn it. It, in the beginning, yes. And an hour and a half into it, I was ready to fucking throw in the towel, dejected. Because I, I set alarms. I got up early. This is back when I lived in the studio with my girlfriend. So our apartment was nothing. And so I'm just sitting over there on the couch. And she's over there sleeping. I'm sitting here hitting refresh. But 
IGN, they have those update page, right? They have their, their daily deal pages. Right. The launch, they were going to have Amazon. They were going to tell you when Amazon went live. They fucked up. They misformatted their page. So when you refreshed it, all the links were above where the IGN shit was. And I noticed it right away and I clicked on it and there was one on Amazon and I got it instantly. So nice. Very, very nice. Amazon was fucking useless for buying those consoles, though. Let me tell you how retarded I am. Um, this is this is deeply reflective of some kind of undiagnosed uh, disorder. I bought the wrong console two times before I managed to get the Series X. No, I go on Amazon and I type in because because I saw an in stock update on Twitter like pop up like that second. I'm like, boom, okay, I'm, I'm jumping on Amazon and I I click it into the search field Xbox Series X and I see a console. I'm I'm moving so fucking fast like grease lightning. Uh, you know, I I see a, a photo of a console that looks like the Series X. I'm not really paying attention to what I'm doing. I see X. I click on it, order, boom. I'm like, I got one. Fantastic. It was actually available. And I actually had to refresh it a couple of times just to make sure I got it. So I figured I finally got a, a Series X. Nope. Xbox One X. Uh. And, these, and I'm convinced it was intentional. The, the picture that they had on Amazon, I don't know if it's this way still, but the picture they had, the preview image, was like the only angle you could shoot the Xbox One X from so that it could look like a Series X because they look they very different. Like the Series X looks like a goddamn mini fridge if you've seen this thing. Yep. Uh, but it it's like the one angle where you could sort of kind of mistake it for that. So I bought the wrong damn console, which incidentally, it was fine because my PS4 was dying anyway. So I needed a last gen console. So I just held on to it. Then I see another in-stock update. I go to buy it. Oh, yes, yes, fantastic. This time I double check. Oh, it says series in it. Fantastic. I click on that. I bought the Series S on accident. The fucking, the one without the disk drive. I bought the wrong console twice. Finally, like weeks later, I managed to get a Series X. But yeah, I'm uh, in the immortal words of Alex Jones. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm kind of retarded. <laughs> That's a good impression of him. Yeah. Goblin uh, I have a gaming PC now. I don't really have something super powerful. It's an Asus. Um, it's got a Ryzen 7 in it. But I play old... I'm playing a ton of stuff on Steam that I never bought back in the day. Like, I never bought Portal 2. never bought Ballad of Gay Tony. So I've been playing old shit. I'm playing catch-up on games that I didn't really, you know, want to catch-up on in the first place, but I'm happy that I did. Yeah, that's been one of my favorite things about having the Series X is, you know, again, my main platform's PC. It always has been. But um, the thing I'm liking about the Series X is that you can actually put, you know, old original Xbox discs in and play like you not only like I have Red Dead Redemption, right? And uh, I don't know how many people know this, but like they they remastered Red Dead Redemption last gen on the Xbox one. Right. So it's like a nice HD version. And um, you can actually slide the disc into the tray and not only will you be able to play Red Dead Redemption on your Series X, but it will update the game to the remastered version and shit. So I'm playing like a lot of like Crimson Skies and all those older Xbox games. Uh, but the main game that I wanted the Series X for, and I'm glad I got it, is Hitman 3, which is incredible. Um, I, I want to play that. that. Oh, it's boss. You got to get it, bro. I will. Right now... I have 84 games on my Series speaking X. Of Bond, speaking of Bond, you you see the guy, the Hitman developers are making a 007 game. 
I read that press release like was that a while ago, right? And I was like, yes, dude, my boner has a boner. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> Mine too. It's been forever. Okay, I haven't bought a James Bond game in over ten years, and there hasn't been a decent one in close to. We'll talk because I have a segment I wanted to bring up about your uh, more recent arcade playthrough of Everything or Nothing, the yeah. James Bond game, which is essentially the fifth Pierce Brosnan film. Yeah, so basically, I've never heard of it. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, dude, I was so happy when I saw that you had been playing that because I played through it when it first came out, and I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But God, it was not enough people talk about it. It's almost forgotten in, in some circles, and I like it. And they went all out on it. That was during an era where they did uh, From Russia with Love, and they went all out. You know, they had the whole theme music and everything. They got Sean Connery to do it, and and they did everything or nothing around that time too. And it was yep. like incredible they basically went all out and made it a movie they got a new title screen new theme music everything they cast actual celebrities and actors uh in the thing and maya but you know so thank you for the distinction <laughs> Fuck. she they were like well, wait a minute we had madonna ruin die another day we need some shitty singer that nobody's going to remember in five years to come in, walk on screen, and be forgotten in five minutes. Okay. Maya, that's the chick that was in like Moulin Rouge with that. Uh, yep. Like, yeah, the other girls, uh, Lil Kim and yeah, the, and chick with the, the chick with the thousand dick stare who was like gone after 2005. <laughs> oh, God. You know, what I don't I... know that I've ever heard that expression before a thousand dick stare. She's so unfamous. I don't even know her last name. I don't think she ever presented herself as having a last name. No, she, she's like, like she's like uh, the Walmart version of Cher that way. Yeah, well, I think. Her, yeah, I was gonna say she's like the Walmart version of Beyonce, definitely. Well, I'll, I'll never forget it because her last name is Harrison, so that's nothing special. But she's got a birthday coming up, so happy birthday, Maya! In five days, you'll be forty-two. <laughs> wow, wow, I didn't realize she was that old. Holy cow! Yeah. Like an aging oh. mock speed. <laughs> I'm glad, Razor, you brought up that game Crimson. Um, the, the airplane game. I'm playing that on Xbox as well. Crimson Empire, right? That's Crimson called? Skies. Skies. That's what it's. Why I, keep, I almost it, said Crimson Tide. I'm like, that it, is definitely not it. Yeah, it's based on the tabletop game. Uh, actually, it's from the guys who made BattleTech and Shadowrun from Fossa. It's the third fran big franchise that they put together. They gave it a good go, but it never quite took off like uh, BattleTech did or. Uh, or Shadowrun, obviously. Both those things are still around, but Crimson Skies kind of went away. But they, it, we did get a good video game out of it, a really good video game. And it's Lemmy approved, Lemmy of Motorhead. If you watch the Lemmy documentary, he plays that game at the beginning. He was a big video gamer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, may he rest in peace. Yeah, uh, of course. My favorite joke from Airheads is, who would win in a fight, Lemmy or God? Trick question. Remy is God. Yeah, <laughs> I love that one so much. Uh, I play it. The controls are awesome. It, there were a bunch of Xbox games that came out that I didn't have because as a kid, I didn't get the Xbox at launch. I got the GameCube, and then the next year, I got a PlayStation. So by the time I did get an Xbox in 03, a lot of those launch titles had cycled out. Nobody really gave a shit. But right. I'm a, I've been having fun with that. And then the game, when you brought up putting in the disc and getting the remaster of Red Dead Redemption... I put in the disc. I actually went to Amazon. As soon as I found out it was backwards compatible, I bought myself a copy of Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb, which is my absolute favorite 
Indiana Jones game. That was free. That was free a little while ago. It was on Xbox Gold, I believe. And you know what I did is I downloaded it and the Xbox recognizes the digital version with my saved file from the disc. So basically, I don't even need to use the disc anymore, but it saved it kept my old save file. So that made me happy. But that's folks, awesome. if you have not played it. You, yeah, that's that's the thing I'm digging about it. I mean, we all kind of forgot what the fuck backwards compatibility was towards the end of last generation. So it's like it's cool that one of the consoles is kind of bringing it back. Although Nintendo does have the virtual console thing going on. But uh, but I think Microsoft of the three companies right now, Microsoft are the, the only ones who are even remotely doing it right. I agree. And they're doing it so right that I have all these game options and I never finish a game. Like right. the same here. I got a huge library and shit. I haven't fucked with any of them. I played. So uh, Jesse will watch me play some games and she started watching me play brutal legend. And we got into that together to the point. Now I won't play it without her. Cause we're into the story. Have you played brutal legend? I love brutal legend. It was one of my first reviews. Oh shit. I have to go back and watch it. Cause I, I used to watch your splinter cell stuff. Yeah. Which that's I'm not even how I found you, but like, I went back one day when I was working on the book or something and watched those ones. Oh man, that, that one those games are great. I would love if um, they would, re are they doing a remaster or that series is dead, right? They did a re-release a number of years ago on, was it PS3? They did like the Splinter Cell remastered collection or whatever, but it was only like three fucking games. Um, it was like the first one and chaos theory and something else. I don't even think Pandora tomorrow was on that. Um, but yeah, the, I don't know that they're going to remaster right now. I think they did. Um, is it rainbow six or is it ghost recon? They put, they put Sam Fisher in it. That's the most recent thing that's happened with splinter cell. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. Yeah. It's kind of an open secret that they're, they might be working on a new one though. Apparently. But I'm not looking forward to that in today's current climate. I can only imagine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't need a side shave, Sam Fisher. Thank you very much. Who, who fucking you know waxes his nut hammock and fucking paints his fingernails? I don't need that shit. It's gonna sell eight copies and make everyone happy. Yes. What do you? Okay, so you've had to have heard about this: the Grand Theft Auto trilogy remaster or remake. Uh, it's rumored all the time, but stuff keeps popping up in the ether. Do you think Rockstar is actually going to be lazy and just port the old games with a slight graphical up-res? Or do you think they're actually going to go and give us like a full you know, upgrade and make it worth our while and money? If it's okay, if it, it, well, first off, I haven't heard about this. So it's just going to be one, two, and three? Uh, uh, no, it'll be three Vice City San Andreas. Oh, okay. So they're skipping the first two. See, if, if they were doing one, two, and three, I could see them doing a full overhaul and making the first two games, like fleshing them out more. That'd but, be awesome. um, cause they're actually underrated games. They're pretty good, but it's a, you know, it's a different time in gaming and technical limitations and whatnot. If they're, I mean, honestly, I could see them more. I think it's more likely if they're releasing it as a big trilogy, they're probably just going to do the kind of half-assed remaster job. I don't want to say half-assed, but they'll most likely upscale and maybe up the uh, the texture quality a little bit, kind of like what they did with Red Dead Redemption. That would be my guess. I hope it's more. Rockstar has traditionally been my favorite studio because the games that they put out, I always liked. But yeah. I'm really pissed off as a consumer that it's been nine, eight years since Grand Theft Auto V came out. 
I bought that game three. Okay, I bought it twice. I downloaded it for the Xbox. For fuck's sake, it is not that hard. And you're saying, Jeff, you don't make video games. You don't do this shit. I understand. But Rockstar used to be able to make Grand Theft Auto 3 in 2001. Then the next year in 02 came Vice City. And then two years later, San Andreas. I don't even need that kind of a turnaround. But for God's sakes, 2008 was GTA 4. Oh, goddamn. Look at at fucking Bethesda, bro. Fucking Skyrim is now 10 years old. That's the last Elder Scrolls game, for fuck's sake. What the hell? It's been on every console 10 times over. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I have a toaster that plays fucking Skyrim. It's on everything. And and it's it's ridiculous. Um, And that honestly is more so the AAA gaming environment. It takes so long and it costs so much money. And the team sizes have gotten so apocalyptically fucking huge. I mean, guys, it's... And Bethesda are one of the few studios that keep their team sizes relatively small. I think they try and keep the team size under 200 people, which is not common for the modern gaming. I mean, have you ever, <laughs> have you beaten like an Assassin's Creed game in the last several years and st- and stuck around for the uh, credits? Dude, I, I can't even get through one. <laughs> dude, it's like credits, Ubisoft Shanghai, Ubisoft fucking South America, Ubisoft Saskatchewan, Ubisoft like, they thank every satellite studio, and I swear there is not a continent untouched by this game's development. Um, There's, I mean, there have to be hundreds of people who work on these games, probably getting near a thousand uh, at some point, but it's, that's kind of, it costs so much money now, and that just has to do with the simple fact that there's really there's a middle market that's gradually starting to reassert itself, mostly on like Steam and shit. But for many years, it got to the point where it's like you either have these pissant little mobile games or you have these big budget bloated AAA games that come out every. But it used to be that they would come out every three to four years. Now it's like five years at the earliest for these games to come out. And that's like not sustainable down the road. It's really not, especially if. God damn, like heavens forfend that it should bomb. And and that happens, right? Look what happened with Cyberpunk 2077. Now they made a lot of money in pre-orders, but after that, it was quite a different story because negative word of mouth uh, yeah. got around about it. And how long did they make that fucking game? They announced that in 20 the tail end of 2012, beginning of 2013. <laughs> now, and it just came rush? out last year. So, they rushed, right? Because it was was it one of those situations I've I don't follow it enough. I own the game. I bought it and I stopped playing it because it was kind of boring. But um, it took them yeah. years to get the sequel out. I don't know why it should have been rushed. People waited ages for that thing. Right. There's no excuse for them to have rushed it out. Like, I'm not saying they didn't rush it. Um, and I can't say speak with a certainty as to how quickly they, uh, from the beginning of the process to the end of it, got it put out there. But there was no reason for them to rush it because people waited ages for a sequel to Cyberpunk. They would have waited longer for A, a complete game and B, a decent game. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just, the reason I asked you the, the Grand Theft Auto question is because, like I said, I've been so disappointed. And the state of gaming, we're all complacent, or no, complicit, excuse the right word, um, in it. I mean, hell, I go on about how much I enjoy the Tony Hawk Pro Skater remake, the remaster, the HD, the 4K one on the Xbox. Oh, it's so great. Mm-hmm. And I understand, like, I'm playing Resident Evil 4 for the 10th time, but like, 
I still am ready to support new shit all the time. I'm playing this one game. You're basically, I mean, you might have it because it's on games with gold, that tentacle monster where you roll around. It's like a side scroller and you eat people on a planet. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh I've, I've played a number of games that, uh, you know, I, I played this random, I don't, I'm not a big roguelike guy, but I played this game called Vambrace. That's pretty good. It's like a roguelike kind of RPG thing. And I'm digging the hell out of that. And it's just a random little poop butt, small studio, whatever uh, kind of game. And increasingly, those are the kind of games that I'm getting more into. You know what I mean? The AAA games are taking so fucking long. And half the time, you know, the budgets swell to such a size. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars are being spent on these fucking things that they're having to hedge their bets creatively. They can't really have that focused of a vision. Red Dead 2 was one of the few exceptions to that. Somebody high up making that game was like, this is what the game's going to be and we're not going to deviate from that, right? That's why that game wound up being like what it is, as laser focused as it is. It's not going to be for everyone, which is why it's hilarious that it's damn near sold 30 million copies or however much it's sold at this point, whatever ungodly total. <laughs> but, um, you know, you don't see that much in AAA games. Usually it's, okay, we have to have uh, collectibles because that's in there. Uh, that's in every game. We have to have forced stealth segments because that's got to be in this game. We have to have, you know... It's got to have parkour elements because every game's got to have parkour now. And it's like they go down a damn checklist. Focus groups have fucking killed AAA games. They've just killed it. Fuck focus groups. Dude, focus groups have killed so much of entertainment. I mean, my favorite focus group story is from Marvel Secret Wars. Why is it called Marvel Secret Wars? Because boys liked shit with the word secret in wars. That's how deep some of this stuff goes. Wow. Yet it has a lot of controlling factors in all of our entertainment. Wow. Do you watch King of the Hill at all? Of course. I'll tell you what. Do you remember the episode where they go to the focus group in, the day after Thanksgiving at the mall over the mower? I don't, it's not ringing a bell. If you got a chance, go check it out, folks. Razor, I'm sure you've seen it at one point, but go back Probably, and watch it. Yeah. It's a classic. Yeah, there's a lot of episodes. I just can't remember. I was at a, I don't know if I've talked to you since then, but I was at a party with a lady who worked on the show and her husband worked on the Clone Wars and stuff and everybody was all enamored with him, you know, knowing George Lucas and all this. And the minute I found out she worked on King of the Hill, I didn't give a shit about anything else in that room. I love that show. Right? Um, and it's cool, too, because I'll text them every once in a while. I'm like, hey, I heard this story that after this season, everyone was given a towel. Is that true? And then, like, a couple hours later, I got a picture. Like, yeah, we got this. And it's, like, the La Grunta Hotel towel that they got, or, you know, customized for the crew. So it's cool to know people. Because that show, I was thinking about today, actually. Every time I go back, it seems to have something relevant still today i don't know how they did it 25 years ago yeah it's like the antithesis of, it's like the antithesis of simpsons where simpsons just kept going and going and going and going king of the hill got killed before it could get bad you know what i mean oh yeah um and that's what i love about it because i was looking at a video today on the treehouse of horror and i'm thinking jesus the simpsons are still rolling and they still make a ton of money and i'm happy for whoever gets paid but creatively there's nothing there Oh my God! There's it's it's a corpse, is what it is. It's like this undead walking shambles that just doesn't. And it's not like 
it's not like it's you'll never get a chuckle out of it or anything. That's the that's probably the worst part. If it were just od- odiously awful every time you turned it on, it probably would have been killed a long time ago. But you know, some some shitbag studio executive watches a random episode of The Simpsons and gets a few chuckles and goes, "Oh, we can keep this fucking show on the air." You know what I mean? But uh, it's man, it's it's an absolute walking shade at this point. It's just nothing compared to what it was. Now, Mary uh, has to bounce, folks. So we're going to keep going. Razor and I are going to be here. But Mary, uh, before you go, is there anything you'd like to say to the audience? Uh, no, I mean, just like, guys, enjoy the stream. It's super, super interesting listening to you guys and the just awesome back and forth that you've got going. And I wish that I could have had more to contribute. I, I'm I'm more of a PC gamer, um, World of Warcraft and the like. So, um, but I, I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope you guys will make sure you hit the thumbs up button. It's like 700 people watching and only 445 likes. So show the stream some love, guys. And uh, yeah, I'll see you all next week. I'm going to show you some love, Mary. No, no, no. no. Nope. Nope. Oh, Not yeah. today, Satan. Oh, I am Satan. <laughs> oh, <Carol. laughs> so, All right, Mary. Like be safe. Guys. Yeah, Buffalo absolutely. Is the uh, most uh, dangerous thing in your life, so you're safe now. Stay out of my room, Jeff. All right, bye, guys. Oh, oh Mary. Uh, folks, Mary will be eaten by Buffalo Jeff one day. But... Bird Up has recommended Suspiria, not the remake to Mary. Razor, have you seen Suspiria? I haven't. The Santa Argento movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I love Argento, but no, I haven't seen it. I saw it. So my cousin was a big European horror fan right at the advent of DVD. So I was not like watching these because I was some really cool, edgy kid. I just had a cousin who was into this shit. And when you're at somebody else's house, you kind of have to watch what they have on TV. So I experienced a lot of his movies early on. Shouldn't have. Well, (laughs) I did a uh, rageaholic cinema on demons, which is still one of my favorite uh, zombie movies. I mean, fucking when you have a zombie movie where everyone's stuck in a movie theater and then a dude zooms in in the movie theater on the back of a motorcycle, wielding a katana and cutting zombies heads off while except fast as a shark blares over the fucking PA system. Come the hell on. (laughs) The entire soundtrack is nothing but heavy metal. Oh, it's a great goddamn movie. Fucking fantastic. I have not seen it. And now I'm adding it to my list. Oh, you need to. It's, it's the Dick cheesiest eighties zombie movie. It's fantastic. Those are my favorite type. (laughs) i always go i revert to return of the living dead that's my zombie flick that's my jam right 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 well i've seen the original night of the living dead and one one or two others i'm yeah I, i think i've just seen night of the living dead i don't think i've seen return of the living dead all the way through the most fascinating part for Night of the Living Dead for me is just the fact that they forgot to file the copyright properly and yeah. it went to the public domain instantly. <laughs> like they had no copyright. People could do whatever you wanted with it. Wow. That's great. I saw a documentary on it and they, in the documentary, mused that it's possible Night of the Living Dead is the most successful movie ever made, but because of no, um, because you didn't have to really keep track of the sales. No one ever got paid and no one ever knew, but you knew across the world it was constantly being screened and shown for you know decades and decades. So it's just amusing they had in the documentary, but I always thought it was fascinating. The, that's why, folks, if you've ever noticed, 
people watching uh, Night of the Living Dead and other films, you can just show it without any uh, worry about you know copyright. That's why it's in Halloween too. Wow. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Our friend Dra- Draco nine one one zero says saw the first Chucky movie when I was a child. Had nightmares for like two months. I never never watched any of them. Uh, actually, I love Brad Dourif, but I haven't I haven't watched any of the Chucky movies. You're I don't know if you'll like it, but get drunk or whatever you do and watch it. You, <laughs> hey, I like Puppet Master. It's not that far of a walk. Well, it's funny you brought up Puppet Master because Hardcore Bunny asks, hey, Razor, have you read the Puppet Master comics? Uh, I think I read one or two. I forget what company put those out years ago. But uh, yeah, I, I think I have read one or two of them. Have you seen the Puppet Master film that stars Greg Sestero of the Room fame? Oh, man, you'd have to refresh my memory as to which one that is. I've seen like one through ten. So if it's if it's one of those, <laughs> then yes, he is in Retro Puppet Master from 1999. Okay, yes, yes, I have. I have seen Retro Puppet Master. That was yeah, in that... a really weird era. Puppet Master is a weird one where, uh, in like the mid period of Puppet Master, they were releasing sequels and they weren't doing new effects shots. They were recycling. <laughs> stock footage from the first two or three movies and so it never made any sense right where anybody was actually standing in space because they didn't want to have to do this the stop motion again but uh yeah retro puppet like, master came at the tail end of that i think it's like live action spider-man the cartoon because if you watch that show closely it's like hey spider-man's gonna go fight doc ock but he swings past the same hotel 17 times because it's the same shot of him swooping around right like, oh, i remember that episode 10 times you know i remember that scene 10 episodes ago yes Everywhere. yes but the more recent uh puppet master sequels are actually quite a bit better what is it not dark moon whoever the studio is that does it full full moon, full moon productions charles band the same fellow who made movies. a robot jocks which i reviewed recently on rageaholic cinema i need to watch that i've heard a i think good bad flicks reviewed it a couple years ago and so i wanted to see it then but now i'm gonna watch your uh, review of it and still check it out yeah it's like a BattleTech movie basically you're just giant robot gladiators it's great shit did you ever see that fucking one true deal with Hugh Jackman? Oh, got the the one from a few years ago. Yeah, wasn't that just like rock rock'em sock'em robots? Pretty much. <laughs> That's what I got. I think I saw the did did the trailer for that run before Star Wars? No, or, I'm, or did it run before Star Trek? Star. It might have been Star Trek. I, all I know is I watched a movie in theaters and that trailer played. And I just remember turning to Taryn Gell, my editor, and I was because we watched it together. And I was like, oh, so they're making a Rock'em Sock'em Robots film. That's literally what this shit is. I could see it at that early juncture. Dude, I'm pretty sure that movie's based on a Twilight Zone episode. So for really? as dumb as that looks, at least it had like it has like a really good origin. But that's the execution. Wow. Like, yeah, I, I had no idea. Now, uh, let's see. Where were we? Wilson, the unauthorized biography. Sorry, H.P. Lovecraft says, for body horror, nothing tops the fly. The Cronenberg one. 
any opinions on the fly with Jeff Goldblum? I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, that, that's another one I haven't seen. I'm not a big horror guy. I do watch some Dick Cheese like 80s ones uh, quite a bit. Like I did, I reviewed Rock and Roll Nightmare starring the master thespian John Michael Thor. Uh, I reviewed that a few years ago and uh, Demons and a couple of other ones. So I'll, I'll touch on them every now and then. But yeah, I don't have, I find I don't have that deep of a knowledge of uh, horror films. Well, since you use the phrase dick cheesy goodness, uh, Jeff Goldblum's dick falls off in this movie. <laughs> oh, that's just a Greek tragedy. What the fuck? Yeah, it's it's revenge it's for what he did to that chicken death wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's some... revenge for what he did in that last Jurassic Park movie. Fuck that movie. Yeah. Did he, did Jeff Goldblum star or at least show up for Independence Day resurgence? Yes, I think so. I think he's he did it for that. Yeah. I mean, that does he, does he even know how to say no now? The guy's doing like apartment ads and shit. Dude, that weird show he has on Dis or National Geographics, the one that's on Disney, is pretty good. The World According to Jeff Goldblum. Really? What, what does he do? Just ramble and say uh, a lot? Yeah, really. He goes to like a, an ice cream store and he goes, I want to learn about the history of ice cream. Tell me more about ice cream. And, uh, you know, how you go into the back and make the stuff happen. And so then the whole episode is like Jeff Goldblum talks about the history of ice cream or wow. I want to learn all about denim pants. Tell me all about denim and your jeans. And then it ends <laughs> with him going to a fucking line dancing uh, thing and starts line dancing with people. It's the weirdest show out there, but it's Jeff Goldblum. So you know what you're going to get, right? I mean, I love the man. I do. My my favorite Jurassic Park movie is the second one, actually. I think he's good in that. Oh, that. Okay, Lost World. I saw that when it was new on. Okay, when it first hit tape, I saw it. Then I didn't see it for God knows how long. Yeah, it's but, good. It's it's different. I like that they went a different route. And it's not that far from the book. I remember reading the book and they changed some characters around. But for the most part, the plot pretty much follows it. Um, but I, I dig it. It's got a different style. It's got more of like an Odyssean quality to it. It's like more of a journey kind of. And yeah, I dig it. Plus, it's kind of like halfway to a dinosaur hunting movie a little bit, almost Turaki. Uh, yeah, like a little bit Turakish. Kind of. You know what I remember most about Turok, the dinosaur hunter? What's that? The fact that you had to use the C buttons on the N64 controller to move. I was like, what the fuck is this? I thought you were going to say the fact that it almost killed the comic book industry. Oh, I didn't realize it was that bad for the comic book industry. No, you didn't know that? Yeah. No. Um, Turok number one from, was it Valiant Comics? You know, you remember back in the day, it was ubiquitous. The cover with... Uh, where he was like sitting there, like aiming his bow and arrow down at the head of like a velociraptor or something. Right. Oh, okay. Now I see it. Yeah. yeah it was, I, I can still see it in my head right now. Cause it was, it was advertised everywhere. Um, they really wanted to make it happen. And this was before the video game had come out. So they thought this was going to be a big deal. Yes. That's the one. And that's the Ruby red foil variant. Right. And that's what I'm going to talk about right now. Uh, Valiant Comics and Turok killed the comic industry, basically causing uh, the comic book crash that probably would have happened anyways, right? But um, basically, they had this, they had multiple variants. They had like a gold foil variant. They had different, the logo was different, basically. Then they had this ruby foil variant. I think it had signatures from the creative team. 
And it was limited to like, if you ordered, it was like one in a thousand or some, some ridiculous figure. So comic shops, which had really swollen and, and really uh, proliferated during the early, early nineties when, you know, X-Men number one and everything was happening, they were taking out second mortgages and shit to buy more copies of Turok number one. So they could get this blood red foil variant that was signed. <laughs> and then the comic came out and they remembered, oh shit, it's Turok. Why did we do that? And like, fuck, I forget what the exact figure was, but it was like literally like the number of comic shops was more than halved over the next like two years. And uh, Turok number one, it wasn't like the entire cause, but it was basically the catalytic event uh, for killing it. Nobody could afford it and, and nobody wound up buying it. And if, to this day, if you go to a swap meet or a, <laughs> a comic book store, if there's one that still exists that has a bargain bin, you'll find a million copies of Turok number one invariably in their back issues. Because, you know, they ordered shit tons of this comic. Here it is, folks, for $1, like new, <laughs> here on eBay. Now, there this is, is a variant. But... Oh, man. It's br it's almost worthy. It's almost worth getting just for the Kodak moment. And it sucks because it's actually not that bad of a comic. But, uh, yeah, killed the comic industry, essentially, in America, anyways. It's. I, I'm, I'm glad you put the little caveat on there because when we always talk about the game crash, it's a lot of, you know, American talk because... Europe in the eighties gaming was fine for the most part. So yeah, yeah. They were fine with like home computer gaming, you know, Amiga and Commodore 64 and whatever. Right. They had, they had actual like uh, great, the UK in particular was all about the early PC gaming. And so it wound up being pretty much fine. Um, and that's the thing about that. Like the whole idea of the gaming crash is sort of misportrayed anyways. And I wonder why that is sometimes, because frankly, if if the gaming crash, if a gaming crash looks like what it did in the early 80s, then it's only personified by one thing. And that is a bunch of gaming companies going out of business and pulling out of the industry. That That's literally it. Like it's not nothing else special happened. It's just business slowed to such an extent that a bunch of the major video game uh, publishers went out of business or stopped making uh, games for it. And if that's the criteria, then we hit a gaming crash in 2008. Like objectively, shitloads of companies went out of business between 2008 and 2010. And the gaming media didn't even talk about it like it was a fucking gaming crash. Uh, because within a few years there, they launched the new consoles. It gradually started to improve. Software sales, though, for all intents and purposes, never really rebounded after 2008, 2009. There was a high watermark we hit in terms of like AAA games coming out with regularity and selling gajillions of copies um, that we hit around late 2007 that we never hit again. It's really weird. The industry just kind of took on a different form. I wonder how much of the initial game crash narrative is kind of still propagated by Nintendo because they get promoted as the saviors of the gaming industry. Yeah. Still, like 40 years later, this shit happened and people are like, Nintendo saved the gaming industry. It's like Nintendo was launched as a toy experiment in New York in the New York market. And then, of course, it came in and changed the world. But Nintendo, with all their bullshit policies too, hurt gaming a lot. 
Well, and and you they weren't alone. I mean, you had the Master System around the same time too. Like it wasn't like it was the only game in town that was uh, reviving the business. But yeah, I it was huge. It was interesting though in that it, it kind of became an organic success in that yeah, it was it was packaged with a toy because that's the only way they could get it out there. And then after a while they just dropped the rob peripheral and just started selling the consoles. It is such a I get it what it was supposed to do with Gyromite, but as a kid who grew up when that system was still fairly new, I always looked at that as just dumb. I never yeah. I never wanted to play with it. It's like I want to play video games or I want to play with a toy. Not both. Every time, yeah. like, do you remember that fucking system they made about, I don't know, 15 years ago where you like swiped a card and it would like download a game into your TV and you played it that way? Like, I hate all that implementation of shit. <laughs> oh, well, then you must love Google Stadia. I love the commercials because I laugh every time. I'm like, that's something I guarantee I will never buy. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's fucking genius. It's it's conquering the world, folks. We're living. <laughs> it's Google Stadia's world. We're just living in it. Ah, just like Google Glass. That's what we view every lens through, Google Glass. Yes. <laughs> The one glass ceiling Susan couldn't crash through. <laughs> oh, is YouTube acting crazy for you across the board or are things fine? What do you mean as far? I mean, fucking copyright. God damn. You can't, you can't use anything now. And it's, it's not even because they're trying to cover their butts. That's, I think, a transition that happened in the last, like, two, three years. For, so for those who don't know, the whole copyright shit that happened with YouTube happened as a result of that lawsuit with Viacom. I mean, I think a lot of people are aware of this, um, where they got shit hammered by Viacom. Viacom hit him with a copyright suit. Hey, you got all this copyrighted material from our company on your site. Um, what are you going to do about it? And that lawsuit is still technically ongoing, right? It was never resolved. And the way that they're avoiding that ever being concluded is that they're showing that they're doing the due diligence. Oh, we well, now we've implemented this copyright detecting uh, software, so don't, you can't sue us because we're actually attempting to get this shit off of our site. That's how it started, right? <laughs> Here's where we wound up. YouTube has never been profitable for, for Google. Everyone kind of knows that. Um, it's never turned a profit since they bought it. So the way that they've decided they're going to turn a profit is they've now weaponized the copyright system because think of it this way. If I make a video and I'm partnered through a third, like I'm, I'm part of a network. Uh, so I make better margins, I guess, on, on ad revenue or whatever. I think that's part of the deal with networks. Um, so in other words, YouTube makes less of that money, right? So if they copyright something that I make, um, if they copyright claim something for having a music clip or sometimes for having absolutely nothing, they just copyright claim my own footage, right? <laughs> if they do that, then Google um, gets to send the money, I guess, for that video to whatever company decides to claim it. And those companies, they give Google better margins on the ad revenue. So Google makes more money for copyright claiming your shit. So really what's happening right now with copyright is they've found a way to weaponize the copyright system so that Google makes more money off of your videos. They make more money by illegally copyright claiming your videos than they would make by partnering with you and making money off of your ads. So that's kind of the phase we're in right now. And I'm every day I wake up to new copyright claims on my fucking channel every day. 
it's insane. It's bullshit. If there, every time you see a change, folks on YouTube, expect us to feel it. And it's it just anybody that makes anything. I don't, I don't, I, I, mean, I, don't I guess care. Like, like, I don't care about the money. What pisses me off is when, when your shit is copyright claimed, it usually doesn't get sent to all your subscribers feeds. Yep. So people don't wind up seeing it, you know? So it's like, I made, I made a big, long video or whatever. And then ha like most of my fucking audience doesn't see it. Um, so that's the most annoying thing, or it gets blocked worldwide and absolutely no one could fucking see it. I hate that. That takes the wind out of your sails. It just, it ruins it. Cause People are waiting on you. That's where I have issues. Like people don't even know when you yeah. do stuff. It's like their system is so janky. They don't know how to let everybody know it's time. It's this, it's that. No. Yep, exactly. So I wanted to jump into a, one of the deeper topics in a moment, but I want to uh, catch up with a few of these. First off, our friend um, Hardcore Bunny says, sorry, Wilson, the unauthorized biography of Tom Hanks says, I will help you get used to the gore, Mary, and I will give you all the first-hand experience you'll ever need. I don't like you saying the word hand in that voice. I don't like that at all. <laughs> uh, Primer, thank you very much for your super generous super chat. Mary, I'm the spider that hides in your bedroom. Do you feel my long, delicate spider legs crossing the back of your neck? I can't wait to spin you in my web tonight. Hmm. Razor fist is uh, uncomfortable from the Buffalo Jeff. Oh, well. you're another one. I see. Mary, Mary had to bounce. Buffalo Jeff ate her. Oh, oh that's, that seems reasonable. He got hungry. I just came in because I realized I was going to bring you coffee at the beginning of your show. I heated the water. I put the grounds in the pot. And then while the water was heating, I did 5,000 other things and completely forgot. Would you still like coffee? Yes. Okay. Thank I you. just wanted to check to see if it was too late. Because <laughs> I was going to bring it. I want coffee. What the fuck? All right. Uh, it might be cold when it gets there. Yeah, He's the last, actually, on, on second thought, the last thing this audience needs is a caffeinated Razor Fest. Oh, that's fair. That would, oh, my God. The speed. The God fucking speed. Whew. People on my videos sometimes are like, lay off the caffeine, Jesse. I'm like, Haha, this is me without it. Right. <laughs> uh, Hardcore Bunny, though, thank you very much for your super chat. Uh, big Bond fear. Big Bond fan here. Just saying after Craig, they'll adapt young James Bond and do a lot of throwback stuff like what Disney does with Star Wars. Well, I'm hoping the logical direction to go with Bond is the one they've never really gone in. There's never not even Casino Royale. There's never really been a literary bond on the screen. Like we've had movies that are a little closer to the books than others, but we haven't really had the pure book bond. Timothy Dalton was more like that character, but his movies weren't really based on the books at all. Um, I think it would be cool to have like maybe just for one movie, set it in the original time period, have it be a period bond movie, like fifties cold war. And go ham on it, you know, go go ham, have it be a more direct uh, adaptation of one of the books, one of the better books, preferably. I would suggest Moonraker because it's nothing like the movie, right? The book yep. is totally different. <laughs> it's literally just about launching a missile at, at Great Britain. That's the big Bond uh, villain plot <laughs> in that. And uh, it would, you know, it'd be timely. It's we're kind of in another Cold War right now anyways, whether we want to be in one or not. So, it you know, it kind of resonate, I think, with a current audience. And, uh, you know, it'd just be a nice experiment. Who knows? You might make a bunch of money and you might make more movies like that. Or even if it winds up flopping. Oh, well, we just made one of these. We can go back to normal bond after this. 
You know what I mean? It'd just be a cool one-off kind of thing. Make something a little closer to Fleming's vision. Isn't it funny that the movie that is the furthest from the books is the one people like you would want to adapt because I hate the Moonraker movie, but I've read the book and I'm with you. It's a, one of the better ones. Now it's been about a decade. Does he actually even leave England in that book? Like James Bond, it doesn't he just kind of, I know he goes to the blades country club and there's a huge part about playing cards, but I don't even think he leaves the country in that book. Yeah. I think it's mostly centered in Britain. If I remember correctly. I wouldn't mind a domestic, like England, obviously they're domestic, but like, oh, like James Bond just stays in England the whole time because I do like the globe trotting stuff, but I also wouldn't mind a James Bond movie where he's just so focused on something at home and he's running around because you can make it action packed and crazy. Look at the opening of the world is not enough. He doesn't leave London there, but mm-hmm. I don't know. A period piece in London would be cool. I've always liked the period piece idea for Bond really to skirt today's political correctness, bullshit and the way they make movies yeah, exactly. Because you can't make a movie. Because obviously, the obvious thing to do with an anti-communist super spy is to have him against China. But the producers of the movies have purposely avoided that kind of shit. I mean, look, we didn't really get a proper Cold War Bond movie until after the Cold War was over. Yeah, right. <laughs> Goldeneye. Goldeneye is the most Cold War Bond movie there is, and it didn't come out until after the Berlin Wall fell which kind of tells you the producers were just scared. They didn't want to make anyone mad. They wanted to make sure that their movie could play in any country if they wanted it to. Um, so this would handily skirt that the Soviet union doesn't exist anymore. Right? So you could just set it in the original time period. You don't have to mention China. You don't have to get into anything that's controversial today. It can just be a period cold war bond movie. And then you can just kind of have people select They'll watch the movie and they can see the parallels for themselves. You don't have to be preachy about it, right? Those are the best right. kind of stories. And for we live in a world where the spy movies can be as dumb as some of the Bond movies, but like you have a little more serious, like a Tinker Tailor Soldier spy, like the, the I guess the longitude, the latitude of uh, what Bond could be today is greater than it's been in a while because if you try to follow whatever genre tastes are in spies while right now a little dormant for the last 10 years has had a pretty decent, um, I don't know, eclectic ness to it. So bond could be almost anything again. I'm, I'm ready for Daniel Craig's era after tomorrow to be over for me personally and go back to fucking fun. Like I'll go back and watch Goldeneye 10 times. I don't, I, I yeah, I I suspect that's where they're likely going to go. I I am. I'm under no illusions that uh, they're going to go with a literary bond. I'm if I had to guess, I would say judging by the way the movies have been arcing, even this movie apparently is a little bit more. There's a few gadgets in it. It's a little more. Um, there's a little more levity in places, even though it's a very serious movie. And even if you watch Spectre and uh, Skyfall to a lesser degree, it gradually got a little bit less uh, grim, dark, serious, like it was at the beginning yeah. of the Daniel Craig era. So I have a feeling they're looking at movies like John Wick. They're looking at movies like, right? What are the popular action movies? If you want to know what direction Bond's going to go, all you have to do is ask yourself, okay, what are the popular action movies of the day? That's what they're going to try and copy. Well, Marvel movies, which is kind of petering out, uh, and uh, and John Wick type stuff. You know, which is sort of tongue in cheek, like eighties ish. I could, I could see them going to a slightly more Roger Moore ish kind of Bond uh, going forward. That would be my guess. 
I just want to see James Bond in, I don't know, at the at his peak. I'm tired of heroes being origin stories or past their prime. Like, come on. That's all right. Daniel Craig was. Well, yes, yes. And, and people talk about how great Casino Royale was. I mean, it's great mainly for Ava Green, but Ooh, but gosh, I didn't need I didn't need to see Daniel Craig crying in a shower. I didn't need that. I didn't need James Bond sobbing in a shower. That's not that's not James fucking Bond. And people will hit back with, but he's becoming James Bond. I've read Casino Royale, motherfucker. He's James Bond at the beginning of that novel. Shut the fuck yeah. up. Like we didn't need Batman begin. We didn't need Bond man begins basically. And that's a 100%. Well, okay. I can't say hundred percent, but I guarantee they were influenced by that because yeah. Daniel Craig was announced in October of Oh five as playing James Bond and dark Knight, or sorry, the uh, Batman begins had been out for a couple months at that point. So yeah. the writing's on the wall, no pun intended. They're just, I guess I never really thought of James Bond as being such a copycat franchise, but now post Brosnan, that's what it is. And now we're in an era though, where John wick is awesome because of the action and over, over the top kills. What do you think James Bond could offer in that, that same, you know, in that same way? I, I think your fight scenes and action scenes are going to get, get a little more ridiculous, a little more tongue in cheek. I think it'll get a little more in your face. Think like, Roger Moore with with the ability to be more um like action forward in like in terms of uh the action scenes in shoot 'em up, the action scenes in John Wick, the action right, like those kind of over the top kind of action scenes. I could see them going that route with Bond, where it's there's a little more levity, um, and it's it's not quite so damn serious. That'd be my guess. I'm hoping that, uh, well, for Anna's sake, Henry Cavill plays Bond. Of, of, of the big actors that people talk about, <laughs> I wouldn't mind him at all. I'd be happy with Daniel, or uh, Henry Cavill as Bond. He looks the part. And the man from Uncle wasn't bad. You know, like Henry Cavill would be fucking terrible. Oh, okay. I'm, I like opposing opinions. Who would you cast as Bond today? Any actors off the top of your head? Well, I mean, I think... You need someone who can portray the dapper thing as well as the action guy thing, as well as be able to carry on a romantic scene. But he's also got to have that kind of like gentlemanly quality to him, which I see in a lot of Bond act, like especially coming off at of Daniel Craig, who looks like a hired goon. You know, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. he looks like a like a soccer hooligan. So it's like we kind of need to go in a more dapper direction a little bit. Um, if you're going by the description in the book. He's a little more of a, uh, a Tom Hiddleston looking type guy or something like that, where he's, you know, a little more svelte and um, aristocratic looking big schnoz, <laughs> higher forehead. Like that's that's more um, that's more of the bond in the books to be. He's described as looking like Hoagie Carmichael a little bit. Go look him up. He's kind of got a big schnoz and <laughs> and what have you. So I think some of the Bond actors haven't really fit that, actually. Um, except for Timothy Dalton came close, actually. He was pretty close. I'll pull up a picture of comparison um, for Hoagie Carmichael's James Bond versus uh, Sean Connery. We'll use that as a good comparison. Keep, keep in mind, oh, Vesper Lynn describes him as Hoagie Carmichael. Uh, Ian Fleming himself doesn't. Oh, yeah, because there's the portrait of James Bond, right, that he wrote. It's like a literary thing where he describes in detail what he looks like. Yeah, absolutely. 
so he's a little more svelte. He's a little more, I don't know, thin. Um, not not uh, waifish by any means, but a little bit more gentlemanly and aristocratic kind of. And you don't really see that in a lot of the people who are proposed for Bond, you know, Tom Hardy or fucking Cavill. You know what I mean? Not They don't really fit the bill on that. No, I don't. I like Tom. Uh, people want to bring up Tom Hiddleston as Bond. I don't know how I would feel Tom Hardy. I... <laughs> I would have to look through a lot of actors and see somebody. A picture's not enough. You got to see how somebody right. can carry themselves, you know? And the other thing you have to consider is Daniel Craig wasn't shit before he was cast as Bond. He was not that big a deal. So they mm-hmm. may want to do that again, where they grab someone who's not really known. So us playing fan casting is not really, you know what I mean? Like it's not really, oh, yeah. it doesn't really count for shit. <laughs> so I hope we just get somebody that wants to play James Bond and not somebody who talks about, I'd rather slip my wrists than play the role. Cause dude, we don't want to go see your fucking movies. If it's, if it's a chore for you, that's that's one thing I'll say about Daniel Craig and also Pierce Brosnan uh, for that matter was they both knew how to shut up when people asked those stupid sociopolitical questions, you know, for the most part, I mean, Daniel Craig flubbed here and there, but for the most part, when he was asked those kind of questions, he just kind of passed it off and didn't really, you know, whatever. Just let me act in my goddamn movie, lady. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, I just worry that we'll get some actor who's fucking going to Shang-Chi it up and talk about how important and how impactful it is that he's been cast as James Bond. I just, ugh. Have you ever read any of the James Bond newspaper strips? No, I haven't. Give them a shot. It's a different version of James Bond I'd like to see. It's a visual adaptation of Fleming, like in a much more literal sense, uh-huh. but in a visual style that I've never really, that never existed. It's from the Daily, was it the Daily Mail? Or whatever their, com- their newspaper was that it appeared in. But it's like real iconic looking, and it's drawn by a guy named John McCluskey, who, uh, as a comic book artist, I'm a fan of that style that he, uh, he does. So, yeah, I'm going to send you some links, man. Uh, I bought the books. They printed them a couple years back, and they're good. I know, like, I'm, I'm looking at them right now. I, I dig the art style. Yeah, I, I would love to see James Bond like operate in that kind of world. Yeah, I dig up that. Ne- oh, let's see. Up next, we have our buddy uh, Draco. Wait, crap. Sorry, it jumped up again. We're talking about your uh, Cold War point, which was a good point. Uh, let's see. Uh, where are we at? Here we are. Sorry, folks. So... Um, TLJ Screwjob, thank you. He says, oh, loved your ranking Bond part one video, Jeff. Tell him James Bond can be black people. How, I oh, was right. Tell the James Bond could be black people how well Asian Connery went over. Also, white <laughs> T'Challa, when? Yeah, we we looked at James Bond as an Asian man, as a Japanese uh, transplant. It did right. not look good at all. Is that the first Asian action star there, Ch- Shang-Chi? Fuck you. He even beats out oh. Bruce Lee, technically. Yeah, oh my god, I wish he was still talking shit on Twitter because talking about the first Asian superhero. I'm like, you mean James Bond? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kind of stopped talking shit after those old tweets popped up and uh yeah. and after and after his uh, box office kind of petered out in week two. Yeah, it's funny how people like to talk shit when they think they're on top, but the minute reality sets in, ooh, you don't... Yeah, he went from zero to shut the fuck up in about 15 seconds. It took me... what? When did that movie come out? Early September? I didn't see that until like a week ago. That's how long it took me to see that movie. 
<laughs> yeah. I and that's weird. I'm like the target demographic for that. I love Shang Chi. The comics, I mean. Uh, I've loved Shang Chi for years, and I was like, "Oh, cool, Shang Chi movie." I don't think it's gonna do very well because it's Shang fucking Chi for crying out loud. <laughs> but I was still interested, and I still haven't watched it. I don't have many bad things to say about it. It wasn't what I would consider a great movie or even a good Marvel movie, but it's it looks good. It's a it movie that can be watched. Yeah, I'll actually go out and say this is an extreme the end dragon like the the cgi whatever they want to use the technical terms it looked wonderful it's one of the best looking film creatures i've seen in a long time because it felt like it was there and the integration of it in the film worked i'm not talking the story folks i'm talking the literal visuals i thought the movie looked nice and that scene was fun to watch so if i if i have to jump to that part Clearly, I don't have a lot to say about this movie. But it's not, it's not a dumpster fire. I've read Shang-Chi books from back in the day. You're not getting that movie. You are not getting that movie at all. But it's better than Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe movie. Yeah. That was terrible. I watched that on a plane this week. It, I didn't make it through all the films. So, Yeah. Have you seen the new Bad Boys randomly since we talked about action movies? Uh, oh god yes i think i caught little bits here and there i think yeah I, I think so i liked it way more than i thought i would i thought it was just going to be dumb and boring and i kind of had the first 20 minutes on yeah, and just wasn't attention, i didn't hate it i thought it was okay you know I've, I've liked pretty much all the bad boys movies i thought they were all fine there's a little bit of heart to them that i like because yeah you got the over-the-top action and all the cliches and shit but Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, the, that family dynamic they build around them works. So I go to see those movies as much as I do the action as I do that dynamic. Yeah, I dig it. Our friend Doug Keller says Timothy Dalton deserved a third Bond movie. He did, unfortunately. You know, kind of like with Pierce Brosnan getting saddled during an era where action movies weren't cool. Timothy Dalton got saddled with being in the era where they were uh, number one between actors and number two, they had that big courtroom battle over the James Bond uh, rights. So that's yeah. why he didn't get another movie. There, there would have been at least one more Timothy Dalton movie in there uh, between. And apparently the working script for it was James Bond versus communist China. That was going to be uh, the plot of it. As I understand. Yeah. He goes to Hong Kong. That, there's folks, there's a lot of this information out there about the unmade James Bond movies for Timothy Dalton. I've heard now, what do you think of this opinion? The only reason Golden Eyes is as great as it is is because it was written for Timothy Dalton. Do you feel that you feel that's accurate? I don't buy that. There's a lot of you know one-liners and shit in there that I can't really see Timothy Dalton delivering all that well. That was one thing he was never really good at, unfortunately. He just never could deliver those one-liners as great as he was. Um, so I tend to think they actually adapted that a bit, a bit for bras for Brosnan. Yeah. Before it came out. I mean, they had so long to work on the fucking thing. There's no way they couldn't finesse that for him. It's not like they were rushing. No, I think it was <laughs> 1992 when the lawsuit ended and was yeah. finalized. And so not until 1995 did Goldeneye come out. So they clearly yeah. had time. And a good job. I, I sing that film's praises folks. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think of the Brosnan movies, I think my favorite over time has gradually become The World Is Not Enough. Actually, it's very underrated. That, it, 
Funny that you brought that up. I The first conversation I had today in bed was with Jesse. We were talking about The World is Not Enough because it was the first Bond movie we both saw in theaters. I was, what, 10 when that movie came out, or 11. I just turned 11. So I was at that prime age, you know, a little kid going to the movie, James Bond, bigger than life. But that's the Brosnan movie that I'll go back. Well, that and Tomorrow Never Dies both have this thing where there's a little more than you realize when you're on your first viewing. So I was really into you know the action as a kid and the over-the-top nature of whatever. But the whole Stockholm Syndrome stuff between Renard and Electra King is interesting. The uh, history between uh, was it Sir Robert King and fucking uh, M. Like, there's a lot in that movie that hadn't been uh, tapped into for a James Bond film. It's very personal, and I like that. It takes away some of that coldness of those characters and lets you live with them and see personal things, personal tragedies even, betrayals, happen to them in a way we never did before. M didn't have personal relationships with the characters in the film. M was a guy that said a couple lines and was gone. Yeah. Now M needs to get saved by Bond. It has a history. So I think the world is not enough has a lot going on for it. And I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah. It's got a great pre-credit sequence soundtrack. One of the best soundtracks in the history of Bond. And I'm not just talking about the intro song, which is actually good, but I'm not a big garbage fan, but it's a good theme song. Uh, but like the the actual soundtrack itself is really fucking good. Just the yeah. score throughout the film, great action scenes, the silly shit with the helicopters that the bus saws on them. <laughs> fucking, it's oh, great. Yeah. It's goddamn great. Did you pick up the expanded soundtrack from La La Land Records? No, I haven't. No. If you like the score that much, I highly recommend it. I bought it because I buy everything James Bond that I can, yeah. and it's got like down to the gun barrel but broken up meaning like they have the orchestra part of the gun barrel and then the weird like techno techno stuff that they layered on top is separate parts and then they play them together so they got like everything including the demo version of the world is not enough where a guy sings it on the piano it's weird but very cool yeah i'm glad they gave the movie that love it deserves it it really does. It's. I think it's aged pretty well, actually, uh, out of all the, the Brosnan movies. I think it's probably the one that has, well, maybe along with Tomorrow Never Dies. I saw Tomorrow Never Dies in theaters, and I walked out of the theater forgetting half the fucking movie. I didn't think that much of it at the time. But it's aged very well <laughs> in our current media environment. Yeah. Th look, I am not going to act like it doesn't have its flaws or it doesn't have its eye roller moments. But Elliot Carver is a much more realistic James Bond than anything ever, maybe? Yes. Like, is, he the most, is, he, is he the most realistic Bond villain? Because, you know, Goldfinger, I want to irradiate the gold and make mine more valuable. Okay, that's a stupid plot. Doctor No, I'm going to topple this missile. All right, well, we hadn't been to the moon yet, so I guess that seemed like a big deal. But Elliot Carver is Zuckerberg and Bezos and all of these real-life guys these real life supervillains rolled into one because he controls the media and that's kind of the world we live in talk about facebook and censorship and stuff we gotta appease china like tomorrow never dies had a lot going on just on that part other yeah, parts absolutely i couldn't stand the fucking stealth boat even though it looks cool <laughs> yeah i did for some reason that was one of the few things i remembered about the movie was the fucking stealth boat which was very very thunderball yeah, I forgot the Disco Volante was a specialty boat. Yep, super, super Thunderball. I'm a fan of Thunderball. A lot of people shit on it. The underwater stuff is a little long in the tooth, but it's a solid flick. And what I enjoy about Thunderball, or 
it's a lot of movie sequels have this and it's a good thing in my opinion you ever seen a movie where the sequel knows that it's more successful and has more things at its disposal and it does it well that's what I get out of Thunderball. Like, we have a bigger budget. We can go here. We can do that. We can show these things. We can take these risks. I I enjoy what they do with it. It's got that cool factor that kind of dies out by the next one. Yeah, I, I liked Thunderball when I watched it. One of the best theme songs in the oh, entire Oh, yeah. Did you know he passed out? Tom Jones fucking crushing it. And did you see him at the fucking... They did some, like, anniversary thing for James Bond, and he sang it live, and he's still hitting all the fucking notes. The man is inhuman. Damn. Um, that's impressive. Yeah. Tom Jones, man. I don't know how old he is. He's got to be in his 80s. Yeah. Uh, crushing it. Um, yeah. Lo- I, I liked the movie. I did think it went on a little long. Some of the Bond movies do have that habit. They wind up dragging on a bit. Some of them. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. The Spy Who Loved Me has that problem. That movie yeah. could have ended 30 minutes before it did. Uh, I think, you know, I know hey, people are going to hate me for this, but Skyfall, I think, could have ended uh, earlier. That that whole post sequence where they're at the fucking Skyfall ranch and the, all that shit, like, it, ju- it feels like an addendum to a movie that should have already ended to me when I watched it. Yeah, the I think Spectre could be shorter as well. I think that shit out in the desert, really, if you could cut out the part where you go to Blofeld's lair and find out he's his brother and all that, because yeah. either you end the movie there or you don't add the fucking tag in London where it's M and everybody going to fight Blofeld in that building. Like, you gotta pick one or the other. There's like two endings. Like, fucking Wonder Woman 1984 had like three different endings to that movie and it didn't right. know what it wanted to be. It's like the return uh, return of the king of Bond movies. God, I love that joke in Clerks. <laughs> Dude, I was watching that movie. No, no shit. I remember watching it in theaters. And I, <laughs> I had this black couple in front of me who were like so into the movie, like super into the movie. And every time the movie ended, they were like, oh, that was a good movie. And then it started again. <laughs> And by like the third one, this one, the, the dude, uh, the, the, yeah, the dude in the couple was like, fucking, God, man, this is bullshit. When's this going to end? <laughs> I wonder if he got one. the extended cuts. I really like it. Right? Exactly. Snell World, thank you very much. Thoughts on the rumor of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man being killed in the new Spider-Man movie? I hope that... I don't think he's really in the movie as much as we think. Yeah, you, are you following? Him, it always sounded to me like an Easter egg, a glorified Easter egg, if he's going to be in it at all. Yeah, like I, I'm more positive on that Spider-Man trailer than most people. I, I liked what I saw, but I don't think we're getting what the fans online are think, thinking we're going to get. We're not going to get this into the Spider-Verse three Spider-Men going to fight villains in different universes. That's a fan theory, folks. And guess what? I want it as much as you, but I don't expect it at all. Or what I uh, suspect we're going to get is the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man costume in some way. The Andrew Garfield Spider-Man costume in some way. But I don't foresee Tobey Maguire in the alternate reality being Uncle Ben or Andrew Garfield in the alternate reality still being married to Gwen or some other shit like that. It's something we don't know yet. And I I think them trying to, if anybody's throwing that rumor out there, it's just to get somebody to talk about the fucking movie. 
Did I tell you ever tell you the story of uh, Topher Grace around the time Spider-Man Three was coming out? No. <laughs> so I know I know a guy who works at Suncoast, and he's a total fucking knob. Like he's just he's like clearly one of these like drama kids in high school who like never grew up and never became a fully functional adult and uh, worked at fucking Suncoast. This is before Suncoast went out of business, obviously. Uh, video store for people who don't know. A lot of millennials may not know this. Uh, but anyways, Spider-Man 3, Spider 3 was about to come out and Topher Grace had been announced as being one of the main... I don't. I think they played it close to the vest about him being Venom, right? <laughs> so the movie was going to come out and this dude was a comic nerd. So he was a... <laughs> he was a regular customer at the comic store I worked at. So he tells me this story that makes him look like an asshole. He's like, yeah, Topher Grace came in and whatever. He bought a bunch of movies and, uh, you know, it was, it was Spider-Man stuff. He was like researching for the role, I guess, and whatever. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he pushes the DVDs across the counter and whatever. And uh, this guy's... <laughs> This guy rings him up and he's making small talk and Topher Grace is clearly like just annoyed as shit by this guy. Like he's not even making eye contact. He's trying to ignore him. And finally, before like he rings everything up, he's ready to go. And right before he hands him his DVDs, the fucking asshole turns to Topher Grace and says, well, don't screw up. <laughs> 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 and Topher Grace is like, yeah, I'll remember that. Like just fucking <laughs> I feel for the guy. Like, what a tool. That didn't go oh so my well. God. God, I did you are you gonna see Venom 2? Let there be carnage. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about <laughs> Venom. I mean, just mean the band Venom, Venom. I don't give a shit. I was late to the party. I'm a uh, purist, well, I don't know if purist is the right word, because I guess Venom could be part of that, but I'm a classic Spider-Man fan, so I like my shit from earlier in the uh, era, and Venom just never spoke to me. I'm that, per I'm that prime age, man, but the movie was solid. I enjoyed what I watched, but I I think I might wait a little longer to see the second one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't give a fuck about Tom Hardy, and I don't give a fuck about Venom, so I am fucking miss me with that bullshit. Now, uh, in a minute, we're going to talk about the everything or nothing game, but uh, Dra sorry, Draco9110, thank you very much for your generous super chat. It's a good point that Craig looks like a Russian that would fight James Bond. Yeah. What would you think of a Bond movie where Craig comes back as a Russian double agent to fight the newer Bond? <laughs> kind of like I would have felt if uh, towards the end there, uh, Roger Moore was talking about he would he would have liked to come back as a villain, as a Bond villain. Right. I kind of would have felt that way. You know what I mean? We Number one, we don't want to see daniel craig even more leathery you know what i mean and older um and yeah number two i'm just not interested like let him just hit be bought plus at this point do you really think daniel craig after all this bullshit is gonna want to jump back into bond like he's Hell ready no. like he's you can see it in interviews he's just like so relieved to be done with all this shit have you i don't know if you had heard this story but you've seen the living daylights the yeah. actors because you remember the opening part where they're on the rock of Gibraltar and they're basically having a training exercise with the paintball guns. Yes. Those actors were cast to look enough like other bonds to throw you off originally. So like when the one guy kind of looks like Connor, the kind of guy kind of looks like more, even though they look nothing like it, it was right. the intention to make you 
see these guys with masks and go, who's the new James Bond? Because from certain parts of their face, they looked like the other actors. That's as far as they've ever gone with it. Mm-hmm. And I do, I like the idea of like, actually, I don't really need to see Daniel Craig in another movie, if that makes sense. Like, ever, ever again. Yeah. He's a, <laughs> he's a fine actor. I actually really respect his craft in certain movies, but God damn it. There's nothing left for him to do. Like, and, and that's why I think that's why I think this is like this movie is sort of there, there's a finality to it, right? This is this bond, the Daniel Craig bond has kind of existed in his own bubble. It's the first time he's ever had continuity from film to film, relatively, anyways. Yeah. And and so he he's kind of getting his own ending. This is going to be completely encapsulatory. The thing I'm wondering is if going forward we're actually going to have the next Bond actor do the same thing. Oh, this Bond is going to have his own like encapsulatory saga that's going to go four movies or whatever instead of having it be an ongoing thing like it was with all the previous actors. That's what I'm wondering, and I'm, hope- I'm hoping they don't do that again. It's It was nice for Daniel Craig to do it, but I think in retrospect, we can see that that approach has pluses and a fuck of a lot of minuses. <laughs> right you can go that route it's cool to do it and everything but you're going to get just as many quantum of solaces and specters as you are sky falls and casino royales i think a lot of people are enamored and well when you hit big one time with your risk you're going to keep shooting until it doesn't deliver yep. i argue it didn't deliver right after uh it and with quantum of solace that movie's shit yeah but i the best thing I can do to any of these Bond movies that I hate is just never watch them again. Quantum of Solace is on that list. I never will watch that film. It's the, it's the most yellow movie ever. It's like it's like a movie that should be playing on the FX network. You know what I mean? It used to constantly. <laughs> it it's, it's so fucking piss yellow. Um, and it just feels like just it has a TV movie quality to it. It just. Ugh, it didn't didn't work for me at all and it's dull that's the worst thing you can say about it it's a bond movie that is dull damn right dude that movie is essentially a big sony commercial cell phone <laughs> tvs computers there's that's a lot right. of product placement in that man holy shit i was half expecting him to hold up a pizza hut box <sighs> look it if he drank a pepsi and said it's the choice of a new generation i actually would have felt comfortable you know but- what Especially if he finished it off with hee hee But anyway. <laughs> and then his head let in a fire. God. I th- and I you're not fooling anyone with those plugs, fucking Daniel. He's just... <laughs> I saw a documentary on Michael Jackson's hair fire once. It was kind of sad, but it was, oh, good. It was a good one. He got fucked up by that. He really did. They had to inflate a balloon in his head like to get... Oh my God, it was awful. You're a pretty big uh, Michael Jackson fan, correct? Yeah, yeah. Or I did no. like a, a four-part series uh, talking about the Michael Jackson allegations. What's your favorite song of his? Dangerous. All right. That's from the Dangerous <laughs> album, correct? Yes, yes. I'll look it up, record. dude. I, I know all of his big hits, and I like... I like most of his music that everyone knows. So I really don't have anything bad to say about Michael Jackson, the the musician. I don't, I don't fall. Fo- I never followed enough of all the allegations and the trial to form, you know, a concrete opinion or anything like that. 
I do remember when he died and everyone made fun of him. I, I was working at Seven Up and the Pepsi guy was a dick. He kept making this fucking joke about the, you know, the Kmart joke, little boy's pants half off. And mm -hmm. I, after he said it like the third time, I was annoyed. But I looked at him like that's somebody's dad that died. Like shut up. And he kind of looked at me for a second and went, oh. <laughs> "That's that was how I felt about Michael Jackson. I didn't know enough. I was a little kid when everything went down, but I liked what I heard music was." Well, after his death, everybody suddenly got cool with him again. I mean, he was already getting that way, I guess, towards the end. The whole this is it thing was that he, you know, which was the final concert dates that he was going to do, um, was kind of an indication that 80s pop had come back and he was kind of cool again. The Lady Gaga thing was happening. And so was, he was kind of, he, man, he was about to conquer the world again. And, uh, and then he died all of a sudden. So I think after his death, like that goodwill carried over. And for the most part, there wasn't a lot of negativity until um, the fucking Wade Robson and James Safechuck and the bullshit allegations came out after the fact. Again, you know, two guys who had defended Michael Jackson at trial in 2005, like just absolute clown shoes. And after the estate had refused to pay them a bunch of money for whatever, then they felt slighted. So like just a monetary motive and, you know, just silly. Now, Juan asks, uh, ask him about Prince. Razor is a bigger fan of Prince than MJ. Is that true? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Prince. Absolutely. I love Prince. I was in the Minneapolis airport yesterday. Oh, sorry, Sunday, and they have a Prince store, and it's fucking cool. I took pictures because my dad was a huge Prince fan back in the day, and I would hear always hear stories about my mom. Tell, my mom would tell me these stories. Oh, your dad loved Prince. He was this big guy, and Prince was this little guy, and it was always so funny. Mm -hmm. And the thing I take away from Prince decades, you know, he's been around. Oh, he's passed away, but his music's been around for a long time. Fucking guitar, man. Underrated people. I know he's talked about in lists of great guitar yeah. players, but I listen to that stuff, and I'm just like, whew. No, I mean, he that's the thing. He's always compared to Michael Jackson or James Brown or something like that. And it's like, dude, he's got a lot of Hendrix in him. Like he was big time influenced by Hendrix and you can hear it in his guitar playing and he can he can shred. The man could fucking throw down on guitar. He's great. Apparently a good basketball player, too. Yeah. Game blouses. <laughs> Very true. Fucking blows my mind. Well, uh, wasn't Paul Simon like a surprisingly decent basketball player too? Like, on, I'm pretty sure there's an SNL skit where he plays basketball, and I thought the joke was that Paul Simon, dorky Paul Simon, was a good basketball player. So, hey, if Obama can do it, anybody, <laughs> anybody but me. I am not a basketball guy. Football, <laughs> mind yeah. Uh, let's see. All right, one more, and then we're going to finally get into the uh, the topic I wanted to talk about. Doug Keller, thank you very much. He says, Thomas Jane should have played Max Payne. What do you think about that? I don't know enough about the games. I mean, I know they're kind of noirish, and he's got that gravelly tone to his voice, so it could have worked. I don't know. Um, he would have been fine, I imagine. It, it would have been better than Marky Mark. Let's put it that way. Well, duh. That goes without saying here. Right? <laughs> I don't get the appeal of like Mark Wahlberg and his brothers and that TV show and the cheeseburgers. 
it's just there's it's this weird good. thing where America for the last like 15 years has been taking these guys who clearly are not fucking actors and making them actors and putting them in super serious roles. And then the director coaches them through their performances. And then we pretend they're like the greatest actors of our generation. That's been happening with a number of fucking people. I, I don't even need to name names, but Marky Mark is among it's like fucking foremost among them. It's unbelievable. He's fucking terrible, and he's always been terrible. What? No. <laughs> the fucking guy. Dude, The if you ever need a movie to prove your point, just show him that clip from the Transformers movie. <laughs> that is his worst fucking acting. Oh, Christ. I can't think of shittier acting. Well, Megan Fox. Fuck. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, when yeah, you rail like, the director. Yeah. And, and then she opened her mouth and said some dumb shit and got fired. So she must have not even been that good. But Michael oh. Bay, smart man. He dropped right out of the public eye around the time of the Me Too accusations. Right out of the public eye. Smart fucking circumspect individual, that Michael Bay. <laughs> Seriously. Brett Radner was not smart enough, and he got fucking nailed with that. Ah. God, I, I never understood the appeal of Brett Ratner outside of Rush Hour. Oh, he's terrible, man. I had a friend who was an extra on uh, X-Men 3, The Last Stand. And <laughs> I, I could see his Me Too accusations coming from Neptune. Because um, he was telling me stories from the set. First off, he said Ellen Page was actually really, really nice. But that was like her first movie or one of her first movies. So she wasn't shit. So she should have been nice. Um, but she was really nice. Halle Berry was a flaming cunt. And uh, and Brett Radner the whole time was just trying to placate Halle Berry and hit on her. The whole, whole fucking time. And I was like, I knew as soon as I heard about this Me Too shit, I'm like, Brett Radner's going to be like victim number five. He's going to be one of the first guys. And sure as shit, he got nailed with the Me Too shit almost immediately. He... Michael Bay and Brett Ratner that you talk about the era of like bad action movies and stuff. They've made good action movies. And then they've also made stuff that is the epitome of the worst of its era. Yet they make so much fucking money for their work. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, well, look, Hollywood gets certain act, certain directors rather that are on kind of the short list. And if they can bring it, you got to keep in mind, Hollywood's a business. So they're thinking about more than just they're, they're thinking about more even a, than about like how much money it's going to make. They're also thinking about, okay, can they deliver the movie under budget? Can they deliver it on time? Can they do like basic, like executive shit that you have to be able to do from a managerial perspective? And if a director can check those boxes, they may not even necessarily care if his movies bomb with some regularity, right? Ask Uva Boll. but no, like seriously, if you can do those basic things, you've actually got a number of, you know, there are de there's definitely some weight on that side of the scale for you. Now, low pro, I would never try to convince you that The Rock is not an awesome movie because I love The Rock. The wrestler's yeah. cool. He's my favorite, but that movie's awesome. Holy shit, that's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. I like some Michael Bay movies. I like Armageddon. I'll admit that out loud uh, before witnesses. <laughs> oh. I, I, I like it and I like uh, and, li and I like The Rock as well and Bad Boys he did Bad Boys 
Yeah, I like Bad Boys 2 more than Bad Boys 1. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I do. I definitely do. Yeah. The opening where they fight uh, those uh, what are the white supremacist guys down on the fucking bayou or the docks or whatever. Yeah. Cool opening. You get shot in the ass. Like, good implementation of action and comedy. That's the one thing Michael Bay did well with Bad Boys, but like other movies that are trying to be like his, fucking shit the bed. Like right. I, I don't like Armageddon because it's it, I don't know what it's trying to be. Is it trying to um, be fucking <laughs> amazing? <laughs> Steve Buscemi on a fucking asteroid? That's all I need to know. Now you're making me want to watch it again. You're, <laughs> look, <laughs> Steve for Buscemi. every epic Steve Buscemi moment, I'm going to raise you a Ben Affleck. Right. For Steve Buscemi with space dementia riding an asteroid. No, riding a nuke on an asteroid. Fucking, come on. Come on. Okay, I'll act with you. <laughs> this is how you fix a problem on the Russia space stations. That fucking guy. Peter Stormare makes the movie. I love Okay, he is, he's I'll fantastic. He's great. <laughs> Do you remember when he was the spokesman for Volkswagen? No. Dude, Peter Stormare, when I was in high school, and I just so happened to be taking German at the time, he was the spokesperson, and the commercial slogan was V-Dub in the house, and he was doing this weird, like, hand gesture shit, but he was the best. Yeah. I drive a Volkswagen, because actually not because of that commercial at all. I just bought one from somebody. But, moving on. Everything or Nothing. You have a nice long let's play of it. It is a game. I'm going to show some footage from a, another source. Um, but... It is a, a James Bond game that not many people talk about. It was a success. It was a big deal when it came out, but it's been forgotten because it comes from an era that, well, we have this problem in the world. When a new version of something comes out, we like to shun the old because it's apparently shit, which is really a reflection of us because we all consumed it happily. But then the new thing comes out and we're convinced it's bad, the old one. And so the Brosnan era of Bond was quickly brushed aside when everyone thought they were, you know, smarter than they once were. And so we kind of move into the crag and forget everything. But this move, this game, misspoke, called it a movie, is essentially the fifth Daniel or fifth Pierce Brosnan film. I mean, shit, it's got a gun barrel opening. It's got everything. This game tried to be a film, and I, I, I think it succeeded in being an event. It was memorable. Now. Um, what is your takeaway from the game? Like, when did you first play it? That's the first question I'm asking. Um, several years ago, actually, I had seen it when I worked at a video game store and whatnot. I had seen it in the store. I had never tried it. That was a weird era for James Bond games where you were coming off of, you know, I grew up with Goldeneye and then I tried, uh, God, did I tomorrow try tomorrow? Dies. I did. I try tomorrow never dies. I definitely played the world is not enough, which is maybe the most underrated James Bond game ever. Um, which super version great. did you play the 64 version? Okay. Which is that is like, a great one. Yeah. It's right on the same level as Goldeneye. In my opinion, it's really, really good. But, um, after that, the, the, James Bond 007 games, while there are really good games in there that, that people love, you know, some people love Agent Under Fire and Nightfire and whatever. Um, it did seem like the franchise, uh, the video game franchise fell off a little bit. And whatever for whatever reason, um, whether it's because EA took over or whatever, um, slightly inconsistent quality, maybe 
but everything or nothing came at the tail end of that. And wasn't it like the last of the James Bond games for a while too? No. Um, from Russia with love comes out right after this one, right after. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely do feel part of the same, like they're part of the same kind of a uh, wave of bond games from yeah. Russia with love. Didn't do that well. I remember. And that's one of the th- reasons that there wasn't a bond game for a little while, but, um, that's the interesting thing. You mentioned people kind of trying to wipe the memory away uh, from, you know, this era or whatever in gaming. And the truth is that Daniel Craig on a, in a video game sense, in a multimedia sense, like his movies have done fantastically. I've said this before. His movies are blowing up the box office, whether that's entirely because of how great they are or because ticket prices are insanely inflated now um, compared to the Brosnan era, you know, it's probably a combination of both, but in a video game sense, Daniel Craig's really not shit. Like he's bloodstone is supposed to be great, but nobody fucking played it. His golden eye remake is total shit. 007 legends is an insult to the franchise. Like he's nothing compared to the Brosnan era of video games. The Brosnan era of bond was like the peak of multimedia era bond. He was you. He was more than just a movie character and a movie success. He was a video game hero too. And frankly, to a lot of people, he was more popular as a video game hero for a little while. And you can't, Daniel Craig can't say that. Um, The franchise kind of moved away from that after a while, which is sad because video games in a lot of ways are more popular than ever. I'm so glad you brought up the point about the multimedia bond because we as a kid, when these movies were you know, current, there weren't superhero movies besides Batman. Yeah, Blade came out in 98, but most of us didn't realize it was a fucking comic book movie. Oh, you didn't read the credits? No, I didn't read the credits. I was 10 years old. I was looking at the other shit. I missed that credit. Didn't put it together. Sorry. But James Bond really was, in many ways, the 90s and early 2000s. Like, pre-Spider-Man, he was like a superhero in a way. He was everywhere. He was on... You know, you talk about multimedia. Brosnan, you could go... Pierce Brosnan's the only James Bond because of timing, but you could go see his movie in theaters, pick up a multitude of games right after. Fuck, you could even pick up a comic book based on his Bond, and guess what? I don't know if you knew this. Some people do. In the original Super Smash Brothers, on the short list of people that almost made it into the game, Pierce Brosnan's James Bond from GoldenEye was on that short list, almost beating Super Smash Brothers. So, like, you've laid out perfectly how big the platform was for the digital bond and it's dead now it sucks because it was i you talked about the games that were good or bad i bought every game on launch day i bought this game the first day it came out from media play in cincinnati ohio for the original xbox i played it all fucking weekend that you know i was a freshman in high school i ate this shit up this really gave it filled that need for another james bond movie it filled the need for a, a james bond experience I wouldn't say this is the best James Bond game ever made, but I'd put it as top three. I'd put GoldenEye yeah. at the top. I don't know what I'd say is the second best game. Probably The World is Not Enough for N64. And yeah. then this one. This one delivered uh, the full experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that's the, the big shame about this is it showed that there was still some life in the Pierce Brosnan incarnation of Bond. I still say he was good for at least another movie. When oh, yeah. they moved on from Pierce Brosnan, he didn't even start to look like a middle-aged man for another like five, 10 years. You know what I mean? And he's still pretty well aged, even though his hair is gray. 
he still looks really good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, I think they maybe hit the refresh on him really quick because Barbara Broccoli was fucking ovulating uh, near fucking Daniel Craig. She couldn't get enough. So I think that's why they got rid of him a little quicker and, and in fairly unceremonious fashion too. Like they did him dirty, to be honest. He got like fired over the phone, right? Yeah. Like, the only, he is the fuck? only James Bond to be fired. And, and it's other... ridiculous yeah. too, because like, is it his fault that the the last movie that he had done wasn't the best? That's uh, the script writers. He was fine in it. <laughs> what the fuck? He didn't yeah, do anything yeah. wrong. And frankly, near the beginning of that movie, I know we were we've been dumping on everything or nothing a little bit, but the pre-credits sequence, the whole thing with the North Korean torture and him being in prison and everything like that was shades of what Daniel Craig got to do. And Pierce Brosnan pulled it off. It was good. He actually pulled that off and then it turns into Looney Tunes town after that. But it's like, you could see that he easily could have been in Casino Royale. Like fucking oh God, easily. yeah. Yeah. Well, I love to play a game razor called Where It Shits the Bed. It's a personal game I play with my friends where we watch <laughs> a pretty bad movie and we figure out where it shits the bed. And Die Another Day is an interesting beast because the first half where James Bond is in North Korea and is captured is solid. You have your... None of the cheese that people want to rip on later in the movie isn't really that opening. You got a couple one-liners that hit or miss, but overall you get something unique for as much as we can say, well, Daniel Craig gave us the sensitive bond. Well, Daniel Craig is not the first James Bond to cry. That would be George Lazenby, but right. we never saw bond captured and thrown away by the government. Like we did in die another day. Right. I understand how bad that movie is with the fucking space laser and the uh, the the diamond powered laser and all that dumb shit. It's a it's dumb. But up until Cuba, you actually have a really solid story of uh, like gene therapy and betrayal. And, you know, the part where M and James Bond are talking down on the subway. She's like, you had your cyanide. I threw it years ago. I threw it, threw it away years ago. Excuse me. Like. There's all that stuff in that movie that's trying, and Brosnan does a good job there. But, dude, once you meet Zhao and all that crap, I honestly say Halle Berry. When she comes out of the water. Yep. That's I was going to say, it's the moment he hits Jinx. The moment Halle Berry has to pretend to act. That was during that whole era around Monster's Ball and shit where we were pretending Halle Berry was a great actress. That yeah. didn't last very long. Um, <laughs> that was during that whole era and it's very much an artifact of its time, uh, in that sense. But yeah, I think the moment he hits Halle Berry is, is like the moment it all starts to nosedive. See, Die Another Day has an interesting narrative around it too, because it's clearly not a failure. Everyone loves to say it was a flop. It needed to reset the James Bond no. franchise for context, folks. The highest grossing James Bond film is Skyfall with $1.1 billion. But Die Another Day is fifth in terms of all the successful James Bond movies with $431 million, almost $432 million. Yeah. So, the and that's in, around and that's in 2003 not, dollars, too, not 2012 yeah. dollars. Inflated 2012 dollars and inflated 2012 movie ticket prices, which by 2012, movie ticket prices were up to like $10 or more. Right. When Die Another Day came out, you could go to the movies for three, four bucks still. You know what I mean? So it's a slightly different deal. Yeah. They don't. I, I just feel as a fan, I always want to put this out there, the record, because it's just you see so much bad journalism from a place like Screen Rant or you see these articles that perpetuate a wrong 
just wrong stuff. And so I just like to throw that out there, folks, to get a better perspective of how things actually went down. Because at the end of the day, you know, we we they got rid of him quickly when there was more life left in him. Yo, absolutely. I think I say he had at least one more movie. Honestly, as well as he aged, he probably could have squeezed in a second one after that. But, you know, he did get four movies. It's not like they cut him off at the kneecaps. But mm-hmm. um, but I do think they cut him off just slightly early. You know, it was, it was I would have I would have loved, you know, as a kid, he was my favorite anything. And I I don't think he had to retire until probably fuck, he could have made it to oh five. He could have made it to ten. Like I'm trying to pick like I've never seen Mamma Mia, but I know what he looks like in that movie. And he still looked enough like James Bond. I mean, like you say, it's just the white hair. Well, and he did November Man and shit, which is basically Bond. And, you know, I mean, seriously, it's just uh, he's he's aged very, very well. Did you watch that uh, GoldenEye watch along that he did? No, wait, he did a GoldenEye watch? No, I need to watch that On shit. Fuck it, dude, when when the lockdowns first started, he was at like his beach house or something. And he as part of some Bond promotional thing. Because uh, that was part of the first press junket for, uh, or no, it might have been for charity or something. He did a watch along for Goldeneye, and you know talked about the movie as he watched it. It was fucking, it was awesome. I I gotta find this. Yes, it's still on YouTube. I was super jealous of Jimmy Kimmel for one reason. He got to play Goldeneye with Pierce Brosnan on TV, <laughs> and I was. I'm just like, God damn it. That's every kid's fantasy to play James Bond with James Bond. How cool is that? I'm, you know, not really that upset, but it's something I, I watched. I was like, God damn, that's cool. And he's the only, he, I don't look at Daniel Craig as a guy that allows himself to be, I don't know, open enough to have fun with that. Yeah. He's kind of private. He's not a dick. I mean, he seems like an okay guy. Um, he, he seems reasonably, uh, avuncular and outgoing, but, uh, yeah, he's a little bit private. He's got that Connery edge to him a little bit where Connery, you got the sense that if you ran into Connery in real life, he'd tell you to fuck yourself. <laughs> now with this game, everything or nothing, you did a long, uh, arcade video or a long arcade playthrough of over four hours. Um, yeah. What did you think of the VR segments of this game? Like, I know we just watched one briefly on screen. I kind of liked that, where you could go into the training modules in that weird mesh digital world. Yeah, it was it was a nice way to get the training in, so that you weren't just dropped into the deep end of the pool. Um, I, I thought the variety in the game was pretty good in general, actually, in terms of the fucking um, the, you know the actual mission types. Uh, I I thought that was really bitching, but the. Yeah, the training segments I thought were fine. It was you have a training segment in from Russia with love too, but they had to be a little bit more creative about it because you couldn't do VR or anything. Um, but yeah, I, I I didn't mind it. It kind of reminded like me of Metal Gear Solid, the VR missions a little bit. I remember those. My buddy Brandon brought that over because he was the PlayStation kid and I was the Nintendo kid. And we both had both consoles, but he always had the better PlayStation games. I picked up. I'm the kid that bought Tomorrow Never Dies, but I remember him bringing that over. And I, I love Metal Gear Solid. That's when it. Okay, I love some Metal Gear Solid. Not all. <laughs> that makes sense. I love to not love Metal Gear Solid. <sighs> Have you seen the YouTube videos about that Duck Station emulator and how they can make PS One look better than ever uh, now? No, no, I haven't. Because it's a, it's an emulator that can 
fix the graphics, but it also fixes the perspective and the draw distance and all this stuff. It makes these games look like they're intended to. And it made me want to go back and play Metal Gear Solid again because ah, first, the only barrier I have with that first one is how shitty it looks on a modern TV. But now with that fixed, we'll go back and play it. The first game is, people love the third one. I think the first game is the best in that series, personally. Um, Metal Gear Solid. And it was part of that whole deluge of stealth. It was like 3D stealth games just exploded in 1998. It was, Tenchu was the first one. Metal Gear Solid was not the first one. Tenchu came out first, very underrated game. Um, then Metal Gear Solid, then Thief. It was just like the year of stealth. Um, and, and actually, we're talking about James Bond. James Bond games had a huge part to play in the development of the stealth genre as well because there's a lot of stealth in goldeneye a lot actually um and that was one of the first big games certainly that had like viable stealth options in a mission i remember playing goldeneye the first time and thinking that like oh wow i can actually sneak around for a little bit here and i don't have to reveal myself and i can kind of play the missions differently um that was a bigger deal than people thought at the time you know oh dude I was watching a video on Goldeneye this morning and I was just still impressed by, I remember I put it like this. I remember being excited the first time I saw that game played because of the way you could shoot the dudes too. Remember how they each had like the body parts reacted differently. If you shoot them in the hand, they shake their hand, shoot them in the dick, they fall down, whatever. Like all shooters used to be that way, man. And then they stopped doing that after a while. Turok was that way. Big time. Probably the best death animations ever. Um, golden eye, fucking like for a while there, shooters perfect dark uh, springs to mind. They were all that way, and then at some point, with the Activisionization of the first person shooter genre, it just got lazier and lazier and lazier. And now it's just ragdoll that's all it is now with death animation. There is no death animation, it's just enemies ragdoll when they die. It's so fucking lazy. I want them to bring back, um like the gory dismemberment kills. Like remember in vice city, you could actually cut someone's head off with the sword. If you ran up to him at the right angle, like yeah. I like that in games. Yeah. Or, or in Turok where you can blow the guy's ear off and it spouts blood. There's like a fountain of blood that spouts from the side of their head as they slowly slump to the ground. Fucking brilliant. Dude, the Turok deaths are funny. Cause just the, it's like, I don't know. It looks like red Skittles shooting out at times. Right. It's, Oh, the N64 blood. I mean, you got to cut it some slack. Oh, dude, I have the sweetest soft spot for the N64 of anyone you'll ever talk to. I love that console. Good or bad, uh, all my favorite gaming memories as a kid were centered around that thing. GoldenEye, Zelda, No Mercy, all those games were a big deal to me as a kid. Yeah. Are you interested at all in that uh, Switch Online shit? Uh, I don't own a switch, so I, at least not yet. So I'm not, but, uh, Taryn Gell, my editor, he's got one, so he might be interested in it. I'm just excited that they're going to make a new N64 controller. And if it's Bluetooth, I like love the other that. One. I love the, pr- now the proliferation of retro controllers. I actually am looking right now at my brand new Xbox Duke controller. Um, oh, you they, got one of those. Yes, they they re-released them for the Xbox One and they work on your PC. And this is my go-to PC controller. Anytime you see me streaming a game that takes a controller, I'm using the Duke. It's my favorite controller ever. I love the Duke. I always have. 
you're the only person I've ever met that said it's their favorite control. I've heard a lot of people like it. I remember playing on the original version, but God, that was a gnarly controller. It, it's great because it's, you know, you don't pay attention to these things when you're using controllers. I remember there was a time when I agreed with the commonly accepted opinion um, that the PlayStation controller was the ultimate or the Super Nintendo or whatever it is, right? It's the ultimate or whatever. But when I actually started playing like fighting games and shit and I preferred controller to arcade stick, believe it or not, I did have an arcade stick for PS2 and shit, but I just never could get the hang of it. I always was better uh, using a controller for some reason. And when you play fighting games and it gets really intense and you're using a controller where your hands, your fingers are like contorted in weird positions, you really start to feel it like really quickly um, at a tournament. So I began to accrue a well-earned hatred of the PlayStation and Sony controller. Um, if you look at the shape that your fingers are making while you're holding that controller, it's like a fucking claw. It's the most unnatural position for a human hand to be in. It looks like you're fucking Nosferatu. If, like, try it sometime. Put your hand, uh, uh, like, where all the buttons and shit are supposed to be, including the shoulder buttons, on your PS2 controller, and then just take them off and hold them in the same position. It looks so unnatural. But if you put your hands on the Duke, because it's so fucking huge, <laughs> it's, like, it's like holding a goddamn mace uh, or a bowling ball, you look at where your, your fingers are, and it's a really natural position. They're just, you know, they reach for the fucking buttons. Everything's within reach. It's all really comfortable and your your fingers don't cramp so bad. Um, so it's it's a way better ergonomically, it's way better. I'm gonna get one just for the hell of it. They're great, and they're not Xbox. that expensive. They work really well. I I give it to Microsoft. Their controllers, I've never had any of their first party peripherals break on me, but I had the original Xbox and the 360 break on me. That was the only two consoles. You you cannot lie to me and tell me you didn't go through like 20 headsets. You know why I didn't? Why? Because I never used them. I hate to talk when I play video. Okay. It has taken me this long to be able to talk and have a conversation while I draw. Because normally I'm singularly focused on something and I go, yeah, I bring it here. You're like me. You get the tunnel vision. I can do one thing at a time. I can't. That's why my game streams are like, I'm terrible. My gameplay is always terrible because I'm trying to answer questions. I am not a multitasker at all. I cannot focus on playing the game and talk at the same time. I just can't. I'm not a walk and chew gum kind of guy. So I, I sympathize. I'm good. Like I've experimented on Twitch a little bit. We're going to do a lot more. But I've, I'm the guy that, like, I'll play Halo, and I'll talk a little shit, and then I'll get a kill, and then I'll scream something real loud, and then I get right back into the game. I'll have my moment of, you know, excitement, and then I go right back. Because I play to win. I'm not a sore winner or a sore loser. But if it's a game, like, a, especially a video game, I don't see the purpose in playing a video game if it's not to win, especially competitively. Like, if you're <laughs> on a team, I'm here to help the team. I'm here to do this. But, like, why the fuck would I sit down to play Call of Duty in general? But if I'm going to, why would I not play to win? So, right. It's a weird way I look at stuff, but it, I don't know. That's the only place I'm super competitive still is when I game. Cause I don't know. I feel like I, I need that outlet. I'm that way on certain games on other ones. I'm completely just veg out. Sometimes I'll even put something on in the background, like a podcast or something, you know, while I'm just kind of zoning out. You know what I mean? 
I do that a lot when I play like a Skyrim type game or some shit like that, you know, like an open world or an Assassin's Creed sometimes, whatever, something like that. But if I'm playing a fighting game, fuck you, it's on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fuck you, it's on. I've been playing Marvel versus Capcom 3 because it was one of those games with gold or whatever Xbox arcade game you could get for free. And it's not as good as two. Nothing really is. But man, I do get into like, again, when you talk about the controllers and your hands cramping, I have big hands. Game controllers always suck for me. So maybe I should get a Duke. Yeah, but try man, the Duke, man. I'm telling you, you'll notice like your fingers do not cramp with that thing. It's crazy. I need that. The black and white buttons always threw me off on the Xbox controller. I had the, um, was it the Xbox S controller that they replaced it with? Well, the cool always, thing about the cool thing about the new Duke is uh-huh. they add, they added bumpers on the you know they've added basically r1 and l1 buttons on the on the shoulders and they're interchangeable with the white and black buttons so you don't have to white and black buttons if you don't want to yeah you you sold me uh they should give you a percentage or a commission based on what (laughs) plus the coolest thing about it if you notice i don't know if you've seen uh if you when you plug it into your pc or, or into your xbox or whatever if you push, it has the, you know, you remember on the old Duke controller, mm-hmm. it had the Xbox logo under the plastic in the middle of the controller. Yep. Well, now that is an L, an animated LED screen. And every single time you hit it, it does the the original Xbox startup animation with the fucking. <sighs> it's so badass. It's like a retro trip every fucking time you accidentally hit it. It's great. Now I'm just torn. Do I want to get the original or the green one? <laughs> right i don't know i, think I'm go, I'm I went with the og black. yeah i i know i'm like in the weird minority here but i don't understand the appeal of that elite custom controller where you can customize the buttons and it has like the weird bumper trigger things underneath the paddles to the handle like i don't get that people can customize a game controller it's such a weird concept to me yeah that's just me I, I don't know like that weird d-pad they implemented too Eh, it works. It works. Now let's uh, get caught up with some of the audience because Adam Wofford says Ron was saying that they were too scared to keep on like how they are with other Bond movies because of the Austin Powers, so they ran to Jason Bourne type. Oh, I guess it meant to say Daniel Craig. Um, but yeah, I've heard that. Have you heard that Austin Powers pushed Bond into the direction it went to? See, I don't fucking buy that personally. I don't because here's the thing. There were Bond parodies and even massively successful Bond parodies in the prime years of James Bond. Dean Martin did an entire spy series that was a parody of Bond that was hugely successful um, in in the 1960s and 70s. Um, There was another, what the fuck was it? There was another uh, spy series. I'm blanking on it. It was based on a spy book that was a spinoff of Bond. And it was like a parody uh, series that ran all throughout the sixties. You'll, you'll catch it on like old movie channels every now and then. Is it um, in like, I think Flint? it's, I think it's st- no, I think it starred uh, James Garner, oh, but uh, dude, hugely successful bond parodies all throughout the prime years of the franchise. Austin powers didn't do shit, but draw attention to fucking bond. That was not why there, you know, any creative problems that Bond had during that period was entirely down to the fact that they didn't know 
how to make like what the fucking action movie needed to look like in the early 2000s. That's all it was. That's literally in the 90s and early 2000s was like the dark ages for action films because the 80s were over. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was in fucking Twins. You know what I mean? He was in Jingle All the Way at the time. <laughs> Stallone was doing Copland. You know what I mean? It was a weird time for action movies. And I think Bond just fell prey to that a little bit. They weren't sure what Bond needed to be because they weren't sure what the fuck action movies needed to be at the time. Yeah. I'm just trying to think about good action movies from that era. None. Besides The Matrix. But um Fast and Furious, which I which I honestly I think Fast and Furious had a part to play in some of the car stuff in uh Die Another Day, actually. Oh god, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That movie was a huge hit. Yep. <laughs> it came out the summer beforehand. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, by the way, which I said like 17 times tonight, I tried watching Fast Nine. Ooh, God. <laughs> I can't believe they got up that fucking high. It's it blows my mind. It's kind of like Puppet Master, actually. It's like how many of those fucking movies are there? It's like Land Before Time sequels. They're like running out of numbers. <laughs> if they're still profitable, I mean Don Bluth needs money some way. So right? <laughs> Wolf's Pain says my friend drags me to a horror movie. He's not realizing my cousin dragged me to every horror movie they could. I'm desensitized, and she hates it. Right. Wolf's Pain. I grew up early with him too. Ah. Uh, there's the good ones will still get me, but I've seen a lot of them, so it's kind of hard to get me. Yeah. Pope Metallicus the first says Connery isn't a fair comparison. He set the standard. Brosnan is fantastic, though, even if he got some subpar movies. Yeah, he never he got Goldeneye. Okay, that's one of the best Bond movies. So he's got nothing to complain about. You know what I mean? He got his great Bond movie, but um yeah, he didn't always get the best scripts. His movies are a mixed bag, unfortunately, a lot of them. Yeah, and I understand uh, I was younger when I watched him and sometimes can, you know, overlook those as a kid. But going back and watching them, my adult brain understands where they shit the bed, but where they clean it up very quickly. Mm -hmm. Jay DeBacca says, I've never seen a single Bond film. My question isn't necessarily, sorry, my question is, is it necessary to watch them in order of release or can I pick and choose them? Oh, you can pick and choose them because they're not in the book order. Um, if you have you read the books, you said you read Moonraker, right? Oh yeah, I have. I have multiple copies of all the Fleming books. Now I haven't read oh, okay. every single published Bond book, but I've read every everything Ian Fleming has published. I read, and the books are in a weird, loose continuity too. So because they're kind of pulps, um, James they Bond are. is essentially a pulp character. Um, so it's like, it's got a weird kind of standalone continuity on some of the books, especially the short story collections and whatnot. But, um, yeah, the movies, you can, you can watch them in any order. I would say try starting from the beginning though, because Dr. No is the first movie and Dr. No is good. Yep. You know, what the fuck? Go watch it. Why wouldn't you? That's when people say, Jeff, where should I read Spider-Man from? I personally say start from the beginning because I enjoy it, but Dr. No solid from Russia with Love is my second favorite Bond movie. Goldfinger's iconic. Those yep. all the thing about the Bond movies is they just follow up year after year. And I'm like, wow, where did they have all this energy? Where did all this juice come from? Like they really start out strong. It, and it was a different time for movies too. There was a quicker turnaround time for movies than there is now. I mean, back in the day, dude, fucking the 40s, 50s, 60s, they would crank out a movie in a franchise every year. 
you know, and yeah. sometimes they'd get out two in a year or even more than that. I was just talking, I did a video on the pulps and I was talking about how in one year, the shadow got three movies, <laughs> three movies in one fucking year. That's insane. Is it wrong that my brain instantly went, Alec Baldwin only played him once, <laughs> right? No, That's man, there were, dude, there were, there were seven, maybe even eight, depending on how you qualify the movies. There were seven or eight shadow movies before that Alec Baldwin film. Crazy. Gee. Yeah. The turnaround time on old black and white movies was absolutely clown shoes. I mean, you look at some of these actors' filmographies too. They're in ridiculous amounts of movies because of that. Yep. Pluto now, TV Dark has a dedicated Bond channel. Sorry, sorry, I was looking at the chat. Oh. Thomas DeVries said they do. They do. I actually watch it regularly. They had uh, The Spy Who Loved Me on and Moonraker. I think that was this morning. Fuck but yeah, I've been watching the MST3K channel on there lately. Uh, same. And they have a Rift Tracks channel, which is like one number below it. And they had Samurai Cop on the other night. And I fucking love Samurai Cop. So, oh, that's awesome. Dude, the, the Twilight, the Rift Tracks of Twilight is the only It takes that series from one of the worst movie series ever made to the best comedy series ever made. Fucking Twilight Rift Tracks. Every single one of those is 24 karat gold. Sold. I experienced one scene from the twilight movies there was a, a fight in one of them i don't know which movie it is but i was fucked up in a in a fucking bathtub with my girlfriend and it was on tv and we watched the fight scene and then it was all a dream and then i got out of the bath to turn it off that's how little i care about twilight but wow. you sold me on the riff tracks thing oh you got to dude oh it's fantastic i love them i riff tracks is a thing i wish i invented that's how much i enjoy them Right, because like I go to the Fathom events where they'll show the little screening of the movie. I've never been to one with them in person, but I've watched the live, you know, recording of it. Dude, speaking fun. of Fathom events, how pissed are you? I know I am. How pissed are you that the, basically the 30th anniversary of the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie basically got shit on because of the Pinko Pox last year? There was supposed to be a big Fathom Events worldwide screening. It was going to be a new cut of the film with deleted scenes added in. 4K, what? Warner Brothers retouched the movie. It had extra stuff in it. Fucking actors were going to come out to these things. And then pff, fucking the commie cough comes around and shits on it. Fuck that. Jesus. Yeah, I'm reading about it right here. It was supposed to be Thursday, November 5th and Saturday, November 7th. Um... God, yeah, 30th anniversary that brings the families together. Wow. Yeah, oh, I like, this is my favorite Ninja Turtles thing ever, the 1990 movie. Oh, I was perfect. Yeah, well, I'm, I was a Power Ranger kid first off, but like I was, Ninja Turtles were always cool to me, but I never got into them that deep because like with the toys, you went to the store, I never really saw regular Ninja Turtles. They were dressed as Star Trek people or a robot or this or that. So, Ninja Turtles had that He-Man effect, right? I could never find the regular guys, so I never jumped in. But that movie I caught later for some reason. And it was awesome. It's dark. It's a little violent. I, I Pluto TV had it on the other day. The fucking part where the, the Domino's guy brings the late pizza. Like, it's... I'm pissed now that there was going to be another cut of it. Yeah. yeah. It kind of freaks me out that the Domino's guy is Michelangelo. So Michelangelo is delivering a pizza to Michelangelo. <laughs> That fucking freaks I... me out. And and to bend your mind even further, the guy mm -hmm. in the taxi cab that hits Raphael 
is Raphael. Raphael hits Raphael with a taxi cab. <laughs> now, if they put Corey Feldman in the movie, that would have been a little too much. But yeah, everybody would have recognized him. <laughs> Dude, he's a douche in person. <laughs> is he really? Oh my god. He okay, so at horror conventions, he'll like he thinks the shit don't stink. And so, for example, like a food truck comes to the convention and we're all waiting in line for tacos and shit. And Corey Feldman just tries to walk to the front of the line thinking he's Corey Feldman. Nope. <laughs> right. fucking line. Yeah. It reminds me of Brian Michael Bendis at a comic convention grading people's art. Wait, Have you seriously? seen this shit? This no. fucking oh my god, this cue ball cunt. Fuck this asshole. Have you ever, first off, have you ever seen Brian Michael Bendis's art? Yes, because in college we took, I took a college class about comic books and his book that he traced was in our studies book. Oh my God. It's like macaroni art is like fucking Picasso next to this shit. Fucking terrible. It looks like he, like he fucking pastes it together with goddamn, uh, you know, fucking cardboard and shit. Like it just looks terrible or construction paper. It really does. It has like a paper doll effect to it. It's kind of what it looks like because he so obviously and badly traces it. So he was grading people's fucking art. And I'm sitting in line. I'm, I'm, I'm there with my friend who's a comic artist. I was already published. You know, I already had some art published at that time. I didn't want this fucking talentless motherfucker to grade my art. So I was just there to support my friend. And I'm standing in line next to him. And there's this guy fucking in front of us who's brilliant like the guy's a fantastic artist i'm looking at his portfolio and it's fucking blowing my mind fucking brian michael bendis dresses this dude down like he should like all but says never pick up a pencil again you talentless hack fucking Fuck brian him. michael bendis destroys this guy's dreams and i'm just thinking the whole time motherfucker i read goldfish okay you can't draw I, I was about to tell this motherfucker off. I could not believe what an asshole Brian Michael Bendis was. Look at that shit. And it's so obviously traced too. like, he's a terrible artist. Go look at torso. His art in torso is fucking atrocious. Torso is a good graphic novel, but his art is not why. It's so, I remember when I discovered that he used to draw his comics. Well, here you go. You talk about, uh, tracing i wonder who brian michael bendis used as the model for this piece now folks a lot of greats have traced a lot of uh legends but like who does this guy look like right here the bald guy with the cigarette i can't tell he looks just like my brian michael bendis himself oh you know what that is him he absolutely <laughs> traced himself holy shit oh yeah. man that's bad it's it's a good comic but not because of his art i'm really disappointed that he would treat somebody like that. I mean, it makes me want to go and find him and tell him about all the fucking terrible writing he did and how he ruined the comic book industry. I want to dress him down. Listen, Brian Michael Bendis, I used to love picking up comic books and getting a complete story until you're punk ass. Oh, let's put everything in trades. Fuck Ultimate Spider-Man. I'll take that as my hot take. <laughs> a lot of shit. I think it really comes down. You can see with how they've reacted to shit like comics gate and whatnot, you know, basically an independent comic movement of any kind. Um, mm -hmm. However, however you feel about comics gate, you can see it's really about protecting their jobs. Like that's all it, it is. is. 
it's a boys. It's kind of like professional wrestling. You're in the carnival. You want to keep other people out of the carnival because it's your hustle, right? There's only so mm -hmm. many jobs. So we got to keep you out. And I think that's what that was about. I think Brian Michael Bendis saw somebody really talented walk up with a great portfolio and just said, fuck this motherfucker. He's going to take my job. Fuck him. I, I really Michael think that's what it was about. Honestly, he should have been slick instead of dressing this guy down. All these dumb projects that he traced, he should have linked up with a guy like that. Even at his point in his career, wherever he was, oh, wow, you're really talented. We should work together. Look at, was it Mark Millar? He has a million of these comic books that come out that are made just for movies that nobody really even fucking reads the books. They're just right. like, was it Kingsman is one of those? Right. Did that comic even come out? Like, I thought it was a thing where they wrote it as a, a spec script and it never got made into a book. Yeah. would be completely wrong. Okay. Um... I am wrong on that one, but there was another one he did with a character in a white costume and on top of a car shooting pistols that was supposed to be the next uh, Mark Millar comic. And it never, it even said, I think on the cover, you know, coming soon as a film and it never did. I yeah. hate that style of uh, comic book creation. Yeah, that's awful. And unfortunately that's a byproduct of how many comics have been turned into movies. Problem is like, not many independent comics have been turned into movies. Uh, you know, they, they tried the road to perdition thing. You know what I mean? Uh, good, good enough movie, but, uh, didn't really do that well. Um, and there's a lot of movies that are, not everything is kick is kick ass. You know what I mean? That was, that was a big hit, but that's not very common. Mostly it's Cape shit that sells. By the way, I found out that the film was, or the comic was, um, I nemesis by uh, Mark Millar and Steve McNiven. Okay. So that was just Steve a, it was McNiven, a, a great fucking artist. Hell yeah, dude. His, I didn't even like the death of Wolverine that much, but man, his work was beautiful. Like his, you yeah. ought to see, and I, I mean, his stuff at Marvel's okay, but he, you ought to see his stuff at cross gen when he wasn't having to do Cape shit. He was doing a fantasy series called Meridian unbelievable art in that just incredible he was still kind of learning his craft a little bit he was still early in his career there but fucking mind-blowing shit because he doesn't have to do just standard urban environment superhero you know all the standard fucking fare that he has to do over at marvel he really was unencumbered it's kind of like greg land a lot of people give greg land shit but his art compared his art at Marvel compared to his art at cross gen when he was doing a bunch of fantasy and a lot of different subjects. So it wasn't quite so obvious that he had a very limited photo reference file <laughs> night and day, absolute night and day. His work on sojourn is way better than his shit on Marvel. Same deal with uh, Steve McNiven. Steve McNiven's an artist that I look at and I go, man, I wish I could do that. Right. <laughs> he's so awful. Like right? the, the fucking, the way he draws hair. Actually, I have a book that teaches you how to draw hair like Steve McNiven. Never fucking got it. But yeah, those, those are two dudes. God, I love their work. I mean, yeah. I know Civil War is not the world's greatest comic book, but man, Steve McNiven created some really great images with the Marvel characters in that book. Yeah, absolutely. His only problem is he's a pretty slow artist, so you got to get a pretty good lead time on him. Understandable though, because like the the amount of effort that he puts on a page is there. Like I hate Spider Man. One more day, brand new day is a dumb concept. But when Steve McNiven drew the book, I kind of just got over my anger with the Spider Man writing, and I was like, "Well, shit, this book looks so good, I'm gonna read it." So I'm glad Steve McNiven 
Uh, maybe he takes forever, but God damn it, it's worth it. I'm yeah, looking at his uh, Spider-Man work right now. Him, he, uh, both he and another really good artist spun out of Meridian. Uh, and the other guy is Josh Middleton, who's also really fucking good. And they're both super slow. <laughs> but they're both fantastic. Josh Middleton, probably best known for, I think he did X-23 early on. Oh. I was looking him up. I don't know if you can hear my computer. Uh, anytime somebody tells me about an artist that I don't know their name off the top of my head, I instantly want to pull them up so I can, you know, add them to the list of people I want to read their work. Yeah. Or study you should definitely check out Meridian. It was good stuff. Kind of canceled a little prematurely. I am adding that to the list uh, right now, actually. I want to pull that up. I have a website where I can read stuff, and then if I like it, which I tend to, I buy it right away. So there we go, Meridian Comic. Ooh, I like what I'm seeing. Now, uh, let's see. The audience says, Darkest Night Zek. Jeff, for your information, there's a toy store in Canton, Ohio called Plastic. Or sorry, Classic Plastic. Plastic. Ugh, I can't speak. That carries some new inbox used toys from Star Wars, G.I. Joe, WWF, Transformers, etc. Just thought you'd be interested. Well, I am interested, Darkest Night Zek. Let me take a picture of that. I don't live anywhere near Canton, but I do drive through Ohio quite a bit uh, when I'm back in town. So uh, I'm going to try to stop there. Do you uh, go into any old school stores like collectible toy stores or shit like that? Yeah, I, we've got a few out here. Um, I, I wish we had more gaming stores. We do have a one or two. Well, we had one or two before the lockdown. Who knows if they're still fucking around? But um, yeah, we do have a few. There's a collectible toy store down the road that I hit up every now and then. Um, and they got quite a bit of stuff. It, what do you think of James O'Barr? Um, he's good. Yeah, I, I like his stuff, his crow and, and so forth. Um, the best crow artist for me is Michael Zuli. Fucking crazy. The crow is another one of those things I didn't know was a comic until years later. Yeah. Because the way I used to buy comics as a kid is my mom would just you know buy me stuff. But she'd take me to the dollar store. And I guess the surplus of comics was so great in the early 90s that they would sell you three books for a dollar. And these were usually like fairly new, like one to two years off. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, you could get like a really good book. And I got somehow a crow book in one of these dollar store packs. Was it one of the black and white ones? I don't remember. I just know as a kid, I got a crow comic book and I went, wait, isn't this a movie? Because this would have been, what, 95? Yeah. Probably when I got the package of comic books. Speaking of movies with way too many fucking sequels. I watched the one with Edward Furlong and David Boreanaz and holy shit, is that a terrible movie? Oh, like, man. The one with uh, Mary Jane Watson. <laughs> Dude, there's so many of those. Fuck. I don't know how there's money in it. That's the thing. It, They're all like made straight to video, straight to streaming now, I suppose. Well, I'm sure we're going to get a big budget reboot with a female lead in the in the title. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. How about Lizzo plays the crow? That's a good casting choice, right? Right. There you go. Fantastic. The one positive from the pandemic is I forgot about a lot of celebrities who sucked before the pandemic. And then most of society forgot about them too. So they probably won't have oh, a good chance. Man. There was that whole period in like mid 2020 where the celebrities slowly realized they weren't going to be exhaustively covered by the media anymore. And they weren't going to be the center of attention. And they just started to melt the fuck down. 
Yeah, it was brilliant. It was just you just got to watch these people mentally and physically decay in slow motion. These fucking sanctimonious assholes who had been telling us all how to live for fucking 10 years. Fuck them. Yeah, that is my fucking uh that's how I treat or think about that too. I I live out here, ugh, and there's just the fakeness that these the world that these people think they live in. Like we talked about the actor Daniel Craig. You don't think he's a bad guy, but you know he might tell you to fuck off. Some of these people tell you to fuck off if you just look in their direction. Those are the worst because they're not right. Kind of, right. A lot of famous people are so insecure. It's pitiful how powerful they truly are. Yep. Yep. And and it's so fucking hypocritical. You know, especially after Me Too come out, came out, they made the Me Too thing about fucking. Um, they made that about toxic masculinity and whatnot. But it's like, guys, this is the same Hollywood. It's the same Hollywood machine, you know, th that you tried to turn into a feminist fucking engine, right, for years. And all the while, the casting couch was still ubiquitous during all of this. You know what I mean? You were just mm -hmm. as fucking hypocritical then as you were now. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. The, the narrative around me, too, should have been, look at these sanctimonious assholes. They were trying to preach to us about feminism. Meanwhile, they're railing underage girls on fucking casting couches. What the fuck? Fuck you. All hypocrites, dude. Yeah. Uh, so you were earlier talking about heroism, and you have a really interesting video about rejecting modernity and talking about uh, embracing heroism of the pulps. Yeah. What, do you think there's anything out there today that embodies good like just good, good, if that makes sense. Not have to use the double word, but that portrays a good hero well. Or do you think we, we've gone past that as a society where we can actually tell that story? There's a, a bit of a pulp revival going on with certain authors. Um, you know, John Della Rose does some kind of space crusader stuff and shit like that. There's definitely uh, writers out there who are starting to, but they're having to self-publish and, and they're probably making more money than they would in traditional publishing doing that. Look, I... I published my own pulp series uh, at this point about the continuing adventures of a, of a thief. It's kind of a fantasy noir. And I know mine did incredibly well. And I didn't go through a traditional publisher. You know, I, I half self-published essentially. And I, uh, you know, took pre-orders and whatnot. And people seemed to enjoy it. It did really well. And I'm about to release the second book in that series, right? Ooh. So I think I think we're getting to a place where people want real heroes so much, they're going to find media that gives it to them, basically. The problem I see is how are you going to make that a part of the proper culture? And I see really the only hope for that is gradually the decay of traditional entertainment and traditional Hollywood, which is absolutely dying before us, I think will hopefully facilitate it'll create a vacuum there and something will have to fill the gap. Look guys, Hollywood as this like institution that's immovable. Once you study like old West history and do you know how Hollywood was established, dude? Like, do you know the whole origin story there? I don't. Well, it kind of started basically a bunch of like rogues who were essentially flee like they couldn't, they wanted to form a movie industry in other states but they were gonna have to be taxed and they also a lot of them were shitbags and had criminal records so basically they just got on the railroad and they started riding west 
they just kept riding west. And they were initially going to um, stop in Flagstaff, Arizona. Believe it or not, Hollywood was originally going to be Flagstaff, Arizona. And <laughs> when they got off the train in Flagstaff, it was snowing. And they said, oh, fuck this. We're not going to do this. <laughs> so they just kept riding. And they kept riding until the fucking railroad tracks ended, which at that time was in a little fucking farming community in Hollywood, California. It was just called Hollywood. And so that's where they decided to set up. And then I remember L. Frank Baum was one of the first big amigres out there. A lot of Hollywood built up around L. Frank Baum, the author of uh, Wizard of Oz. That's why a lot of the early silent films are centered around Oz. And it's also why a lot of the early silent films are Westerns, because they were literally hiring cowboys. It was still the old West at the time. So they could literally grab actual real life cowboys. And you'll actually see like, real life outlaws, real life sheriffs, real life like legends of the old west in a lot of these older silent films because, you know, they were literally grabbing real cowboys and they were like, hey, you want to be in a movie? What the fuck? So you see a lot of like famous faces in those movies. So it's like this idea that it's like this immovable institution. No, it's just where a bunch of shitbags decided to get off a goddamn train. You know what I mean? So, you know, independent film at some point has become a lot bigger gradually. It's certainly gotten a lot bigger in the last several film in the last several years where certain movies have actually managed to gain some traction largely through shit like streaming. You know, it's all about the delivery mechanism. And as the current Hollywood paradigm gradually begins to recede, whether due to COVID or simple economic factors, I mean, look, it's not going to help Hollywood that they were sucking off China for how fucking long <laughs> when China's entire real estate market is about to collapse and take their entire economy with it. I don't know if anyone's been paying attention to the news. Well, fuck the news isn't even reporting it, but China's I haven't heard about it. China's economy is doing so fucking bad right now. They actually had to freeze their stock market. Okay. <laughs> not a good sign. They actually had to hit the pause button on it. So, you know, Hollywood is headed for some rough times, uh, regardless whether, and they were already not doing so well as a result of COVID. So there's going to be a vacuum there. And I think if independent filmmakers are increasing, they seem at least to have a bit more of a propensity for traditional heroism, pulpy content, a lot of, and here's another thing. A lot of pulp characters, traditional heroes like Zorro and such, a lot of their stories fall into the public domain. A lot of the Solomon Kane stories are in the public domain. They are therefore adaptable to the screen. You can't use certain visual trademarks depending on ownership, but you can absolutely adapt those stories to the screen. So it's like, hey, th this is going to be obvious material because it's material that independent filmmakers don't have to pay for. So I could see that as being a bit of a perfect storm, to be honest. I Let me put it this way. I've had a lot of independent filmmakers reach out, people who have already made movies with big names, reach out to me and say, hey, I love your shadow movies. I would love once the trademark runs out on the shadow, which by the way, it's going to run out in the next like seven, eight years. Um, and it goes into the public domain. I would love to make an independent shadow movie. And, you know, I would love to make a Zorro movie or a whatever. And I could see that actually starting to happen. So is Zorro in the public domain yet? 
Zorro as a trademark is it's, it's a bunch of bullshit. There's like a Zorro Corporation or the Zorro Group or something like that. It's kind of like with Conan. Um, okay. they, they own the trademarks and whatever, but the stories themselves are free and in the public domain. So you can get any of those Zorro pulps for free. But, oh, I just wanted to make my own Zorro comic because I like Zorro. <laughs> right? <laughs> That'd be so cool. Like, yeah, well, it's, shit, well, it's complicated because you can, as long as it's not under the title Zorro, you can still, the first Zorro story is not called Zorro. They retitled it The Mark of Zorro later on, but it was originally called The Curse of Capistrano. So you could make a Curse of Capistrano movie or you could, like in France, um, there's a complicated ownership situation. They're doing a Conan comic that's amazing. And they're actually paying for the Conan trademark and calling it Conan. But when they bring it to America, they don't have the rights. So what they did when they translated it is they just called it the Sumerian, right? So oh. everybody knows it's Conan and they're able to call him Conan in the comic because the stories that they're adapting are, they're in the public domain, so they can't be sued for it but they can't title it Conan, if that makes sense. Oh, I get it. Yeah, so you could easily make a Zorro movie. You just can't, can't call it Zorro whatever. You can't use that as the title. As At I least that's my understanding of it. I couldn't make Zorro the Gay Blade too. <laughs> no, unfortunately, no. The, uh, Damn it. Nor Zorro the Bisexual Blade, the Pangendered Blade, or the uh, Multi-Gendered Sea Anemone Blade. I was good. <laughs> that was going to be my pitch to Cecil. I was like, look at man. You want to be ah. a big actor? We're going to make a Zorro movie with Cecil. Yes. Be amazing. Now you brought up Solomon Kane. We had a listener go big bore, go home who wanted to say, Hey razor. I watched the Solomon Kane movie per your recommendation recommendation. I really enjoyed it. Good action movie with an interesting protagonist. Thanks. Yeah, that's, that's a great movie. I, I think that's one of the best. Well, objectively that is one of the best robert e howard uh movies for sure right after conan now tlj screwjob asks uh who was less interested ford and uh blade runner 2 or connery and you only live twice oof uh connery was mostly just pissed off during that movie i don't know yeah. if you know anything about how that movie was made he was hating life during that period well, well dude it, they were he wasn't getting more pay everyone else was right and it wasn't just pay, actually. Most of the reason he was pissed off was Japan had different laws around how their press can conduct themselves, right? Like, it wasn't like in the States where you can't just show up, like, in, you know, in someone's house and fucking harass them or something. They didn't have the same privacy laws in Japan at that time. I don't know if it's different now. But um, at that time, they were literally following him into the bathroom while he was pinching turd. And fucking tabloids are following him around and shit. Like he was a superstar in Japan and he still is, by the way. Sean Connery was like, a, he was not just an archetype of masculinity in the West. He was an archetype of masculinity in Japan. They loved him over there. So, you know, he was really being harangued at the time. He hated making that movie. It shows. It fucking shows. That's the one where I'm like, I'm as interested in watching it as he is on screen. That's, that's what I always taken from it. I'm glad he got his, um, I don't know, that fair shake with Diamonds Are Forever. Even though I hate that movie, uh, did you hear the whole thing where he wanted his, basically he got his back pay and then he donated it all to some uh, Scottish, no, Irish, 
Sean Connery's Irish, Scottish, right? Scottish, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Towards the end, he was literally just working for charity. Like he didn't, he didn't need any more money. He made so much fucking money off of James Bond. It was insane. After he finally got paid, when they brought him back with the was the last one, Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, that he did. He had made so much money by that point. He it was all gravy. You know what I mean? And he was starting to get other work outside of James Bond anyways and becoming a superstar in his own right. So he was high on the hog at that point. So yeah, he, I mean, I forget what all he did. I think he established, didn't he establish his own bank or something in Scotland? He might have. I just remember he was big into golf for a minute. Yeah, he was, I remember he was, he's still a hero in Scotland because of all the investment that he made into the Scottish economy at that time. Uh, but yeah, towards the end there, he was pretty much just working for Scotland. Proud man. <laughs> yep, right. I something happened. Did he die on last Halloween? Was that I will look it up because I something happened where I was so caught up in whatever was going on that Sean Connery's death wasn't even the biggest thing on my radar that time. Yeah, last year fucking blue. It did. Yep, he died. Uh, yeah, last Halloween. So something must have fucking happened last year that I was so, you know, in the zone that I couldn't be bothered to pay attention to James Bond passing away. Oh, Maybe the Roger Moore dying? Probably. <laughs> right. Dude, The Roger when Roger Moore passed away, I'll never forget. I'm sitting oh. there working on a video, and I'm watching the news just in the corner of my eyes, like, James Bond is dead. And I went, what is this? And then they're like, Roger Moore passed away. And I just remember like staring at the TV with my mouth and like, oh no, James Bond did die. I was so bummed. I probably, I if, if it would have been, if my attention would have been focused like it was on his death for Sean Connery, I'd have been like, no, like when Stan Lee died, I was bummed out for like five days. I was like, shit, I never got to yeah. meet Stan Lee. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, that sucked. Yeah. Ethan tells a great story about Stan Lee. It's a really sad story, but uh, he talks about how he met Stan Lee once and and he's like, oh, Stan, it's great to meet you. Aren't all these people excited and stuff? He's like, they don't care about me. They just want to sell the autographs on eBay and shit. Like, he was not a happy camper towards the end. Yeah, he was being taken advantage of. Totally. Same. Absolutely. Mike, or Kevin Mize says, watching Dangerous Days making Blade Runner gave me an appreciation of how great Blade Runner truly is. Great documentary. Another really good documentary to watch about Blade Runner from years before even the final cut had come out back before Blade Runner was really accepted as a great movie, people kind of forget like for a long time, Blade Runner was considered a genuinely bad movie. Um, and then gradually the director's cut came out and people kind of softened on the movie. And then it became like a legendary film um, around the early to mid aughts or so. But uh, there's a really good documentary from around that time called on the edge of Blade Runner. I was like made for a, bbc or something like that but it's really good what's it called again i'm writing this down on the edge of blade runner you can find it on youtube i think oh good i will uh watch that as soon as i can then because there you go i saved it um i just love doc dude i watched the making of alien like i've saw that four times before i ever saw alien if that makes, like it's a weird thing to have watched so many times but love documentaries love making of I think I, I love the making of science fiction movies because they're so otherworldly. They deal with the other deeper concepts. You forget that you're watching a movie. When I watch right. Alien, Blade Runner, Star Wars, I live there and it's cool. 
So the well, they're immersive as fuck. Yeah. And both of those things take inspiration from uh, French comics, which are very similar in that they're very much into building an environment and a world. Um, they're big, like metal or all three of the movies you just named are hugely inspired by the comic art of Mobius and Bilal and uh, metal or lawn and stuff like that. Dude, you are speaking my language. I, I do comics too. I love that shit. I'm so tired of reading modern books because they're just not that entertaining. I well, love if you the, read the modern books. That's the thing I'm talking about French comics people. There's this kind of, reject western comics embrace manga movement i mean if you love manga more power to you that's your your thing i'm not a fan of the manga style visually and fortunately the thing that pisses me off is when people lump in they lump in all western comics together as if it's all shit and the truth is french comics franco-belgian comics for whatever reason are still pretty based and a healthy, thriving industry as well, per capita, very much on par with Japan and always has has been really since like the 70s. It's become a really big like boom industry for France. And the art is stunning. The stories are fantastic. It, they're, they're making movies based off of Death of Stalin is based off of a French comic, right? And there's been a number of them. Uh, that video game Black Sad is based off of a French comic. But it's um, it's a thriving industry. And and it's not superheroes, sci-fi, fantasy, historical fiction, uh, noir, you know, detective stuff, crime stuff. Westerns are huge in, in French comics. So oh, yeah, it's, not, it's not a binary. You don't have to embrace the idiosyncratic uh, art style of manga if you don't want to. If you're more a fan of Western art, which I am, like more anat anatomically correct art, then you can go find European comics, which are often translated uh, into American. And uh, and you can absolutely have yourself a gay old time because there's, dude, there's a great Western series called Undertaker that's delightfully politically incorrect. Um, there's a great, uh, another great Western about a one-armed gunslinger named Bouncer. Uh, that one's written by Yodorovsky. Lots of oh. great, great, great French comics uh, out there. So you don't, if you love manga, go for it. But if you prefer Western art style and just wish your comics weren't paused fucking gender positive horse shit, then good God, go after French comic. It's called Bon Dessinée and it's a whole thriving industry. It's a whole, you know, yeah, that, that would be Undertaker right then. Right there. What? What I'm finding is that the rest of the world understands universal themes and the approach and how to tell a story, and the Marvels and DCs uh, don't. What it sucks too because they own all the the flashy characters. The what is the thing you showed in your pic your video? It was, a, it was a picture of Colossus hugging Kitty Pride, and it was nothing but like 45 text bubbles across the page, and the drawing is you know an inch or two high. This is a visual medium, not a a medium to be talked to or talked yep. down to or taught by, let's be honest, too. A lot of these people that create, like, okay, you used Hodorowski as an example of the writer of one of these books, correct? Yeah, yeah. Think of the life experience and the creative experience that that guy has had. Yeah. He's going to tell a better story. I'm a firm believer after, sounds weird and pretentious, but I took a trip. We drove across the country, saw a lot of cool shit that I never saw, put a lot of stuff in perspective. 
life experience just makes better stories. Half of these Marvel and DC writers, well, mostly the Marvel ones, the milkshake girls and all the stuff that they used to talk about on these videos, they're out of college or they didn't go to college. Their interns still in college. Like they're just people that have the worldview of a fucking frog. Like they're right. down there. They know their land. They know their shit. And what they know is Twitter. They don't know fucking life experiences. You brought up uh, Western comics, not Western, excuse me, like cowboy Western style yes. comics from France. Mobius's Blueberry. That's a classic one that I and know. This, like, yeah, and I the, the Undertaker series is hugely inspired by Mobius. And actually, Mobius, uh, before he died, I, I mentioned the, the Bouncer series. The illustrator on that is a guy named Book, B-O-U-C-Q. And uh, Mobius actually name-checked him as his, as his current favorite comic artist but right before he died. The guy's stunning. He does stunning work. Same thing with Ralph Meyer, the guy who does the artwork for Undertaker. But it's guys, it's next level. I know there are people who are like, but there's manga like Blame and fucking Berserk and whatever. Look at how much it's progressed. Yeah, and those artists are inspired by, a lot of them are inspired by European artists. Um, they actually are. The French comic industry has been around for fucking ever, guys. Um, so it's it's good, good stuff. I you kind of sold me when you said, "Are you tired of your, your limptic American comics, but you want the Western art style?" I'm open minded to manga. I actually appreciate it and enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I, if you, like I said, if you like manga, go for it. I understand people digging it, but I'm just saying, if you like more true to life anatomy and you also like more of a pre Raphaelite approach in your art, which I love, um, that's the way I draw myself. Then, like, oh, Francis, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love Bon Dessine. Have you watched the French TV series called, uh, I'm going to butcher the words, like Talk A Talk, T-A-C space A-U-T-A-C? It's basically a French show where they would bring in the most famous comic artists of the day, and they would fly in like John Buscema, and they'd have yeah. him go up against Mobius, and they'd go up against, uh, who's the other French guy that was real popular in the 70s? Uh, Mizier? There's one, is there a guy with a P in his name? Who... I'll I'll look it up and I'll message you privately. Like, that's it. That's it's Drule. That's the fucking guy. Um, they would just get all these guys together in a room, have a French narrator. I didn't understand what the fuck was going on, but then yeah. you would hear the dialogue between the artists, and most of those guys could communicate, and they would just draw. They'd have a prompt. They got like Bern Hogarth yeah. in one of these. Like, and that's another thing I'm talking about with how big comics are in France. People have no idea. Um, every now and then I'll run into like a French fan or something. And they'll hit me with like, yeah, thank you for talking about it. Comics are huge here. You guys don't get, there's like two story comic stores in fucking Paris, like that are thriving, that are busy uh, on any given. I mean, maybe not during this pandemic or whatever, but like, it's pretty nuts. Actually, it's a thriving industry, much like manga in Japan. And actually France are big fans of manga. This is why I'm not casting aspersions on manga here by saying this. France are one of the biggest consumers of manga in the world. Um, so it's not like they're cutting themselves off from that influence. A lot of uh, French comics are influenced by manga, just as a lot of manga is influenced by European artists, uh, especially those from France. But it's uh, it's it's a really cool industry that's kind of a rabbit hole that a lot of people haven't gone down. Um, Hector Lopez asked, you know, where can I find him in English? Uh, Undertaker, they have all of the Kindle versions on Amazon. They're pretty cheap uh, and they're translated into English. And a lot of the... Uh, the Glenna comics are 
they've released hardcovers. That's another thing about the French industry. They were way ahead of the curve on graphic novels. They released them in volumes instead of single issues. So you get hardcover graphic novels once or twice a year instead of a monthly comic. And they were way the fuck ahead of the curve on that. Um, That's the best way to do it as a creator too. (laughs) Yeah, they're able to take time, right? And, And really do it right. Well, you, you make these things. I make these things. It's the idea of doing it monthly. I couldn't imagine. Like, I understand I would just like send off the art to somebody else and they would complete the task. I could not imagine like being able to keep your creative flow nonstop like that. Like I've talked to Ethan about it. It's a job. You do it. Clearly he can you know, nonstop, but I, I couldn't man. Like just from the mental, like, Cause I want to, I like to live in some of this shit. Like I was doing a cover for something, uh, for an old book, like last week that somebody asked me to do. And it's like, I got lost living in the fucking bank that the people are running. And I'm like, all right, this bank, blah, blah, blah. Like I would hate to just have to, you know, rush through these things. Right. And I think a lot of the well, art Mobius, that you look at today feels that way. Yeah. Mobius famously back in the day, I think you, you remember, we were talking about Stan Lee earlier. You remember the comics Stan Lee and Mobius did silver surfer parable. Yes. Back in the 80s. Fucking brilliant comic. One of the best Silver Surfer comics ever. And um, there's some, if you get the later graphic novel adaptations of it, it has some bonus features in it. And Mobius talks about his process when he draws comics. And he, his, some people are like, I can do a page a day. Mobius was like, I'll do a panel a day. And, and so every panel is like a work of art. And if you look at his art, you can clearly see that he is taking his time on that shit. Uh, yeah. Which is why it looks so fucking brilliant. Did you ever watch the BBC documentary they did about him? Yes. Got it. Okay. Where he's interviewed himself and he says that he was a great artist. He missed out on life in general. Like a lot of stuff. He talked about like things he missed out on. I think he mentioned relationships or something like, and I always took that from him. Like, cause I you know love comics, passionate doing it but I never wanted to be like Mobius where I lost that. Like, I don't know if it was, it's worth it to be that great and throw away or lose out on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's not the only one who said that. Did you ever see uh, Gene Colon? May he rest in peace. He died a few years ago. Genius artist right up there with the Jack Kirby's in my opinion. Um, great artist from the classic days of silver age Marvel. Oh God. And, yeah. Uh, he was interviewed just a few short years before his death and said something to the effect of like, you make a career in this business, but comic artists live in a bubble. And so you kind of have to understand that you're going to miss birthdays. You're going to miss you're, you're at home, but you're not there. You know what I mean? Cause you're working. You're always fucking working. Your ass is nailed to the chair. It's sad, but true, unfortunately, but he was really honest about that. I respect that. <laughs> His work, you know what what I think hurt his work was the then current comic book creation process. Because like the what he puts on his page versus what we got on our page, Gene Colon, it wasn't like they just couldn't reproduce the artwork that well. And you get a lot of weird murky pages and stuff like that. Yeah, he's if you've ever seen Gene Colon sketches, they're jaw dropping. He is one of the most incredible, like from a compositional and gesture standpoint, one of the most mind blowing classic period comic artists. I think in my opinion, right up there with Jack Kirby in terms of like his posing and his dynamics and having characters like 
body parts shooting right out of the page at you. He was more 3D in a lot of ways than Jack Kirby was. And that's what Jack Kirby was celebrated for, right? Yeah. See what I mean? Like right there. Perfect example. His action was unbelievable. Yeah. Gene Colan has always been a, he's always stood out in a good way. Like I never picked up the titles because I wasn't alive back then, but you know what I mean? I never really read the titles that he was a staple on. I like Daredevil, but where I like Daredevil tends to be from different eras, not necessarily his era, or like he worked on Batman yeah. or he worked on Tomb of Dracula, stuff like that. But God damn his, it. Tomb, his Tomb of Dracula has aged really well. It, I have read more of that than I've read others. So I've read the first issue of that for sure. I may have skimmed through tons of his other like Iron Man stuff because I don't really like Iron Man books. I don't like Iron Man comics, but I love his work. <laughs> yeah, he was he was working right up until the end. I mean, you know, he did a run on Daredevil in the 90s. He came back to the character in the fucking 90s. I did not know that. Yeah, crazy. Daredevil is my third favorite Marvel character. I love him quite a bit, so... He's my number one favorite in all of comics. What I enjoy about Daredevil, the street levelness, like Spider-Man, but like some of the Catholic guilt that they write into his character. Yeah. Cause I was, you know, I went to Catholic school. I, I relate to the shit that he is fighting out of, if that makes sense. Like some of the religious dogma that he's like, no, and trying to fight against, or some of the things he does, you know, put his faith in. Not that I yeah. have the same faith-based issues or anything like that. It's just nice seeing a well-rounded character that has something in common with me, so I can always well, yeah. jump to that all the time. Well, and I like, like that it's not—it's not just portrayed as a negative. I, and that's why I'm so glad that Daredevil, the Netflix series, came out before all of this bullshit. Yes, because they didn't portray his Catholicism as this horrible repressive thing. They actually were, they actually displayed it as more or less a net positive, you know, him and the preacher guy got on really well. He was like a mentor and uh, you know, that was really nice. I'm really glad they got in just under the wire. That third season of daredevil was right as Donald Trump got in office. And so there was a little bit of cringe in there. Just a, just a, a cunt hair though because it hadn't gone to full it hadn't gone from like chunky to super chunk quite yet with the propaganda yeah jessica jones though whoo that was a different beast the entire time the first season was okay i liked the first season of jessica jones but uh, after that what the fuck i mean you knew they didn't have anywhere to go they killed off their best storyline in the first season what the fuck are you supposed to do after that and uh, yeah. as it turns out, nothing. The second season was terrible. Oh, I didn't man. like it that much. Or I hated it enough that I didn't go back and watch season three. So as I know, Jessica Jones could be dead in a ditch somewhere. Eh, whatever, yeah. Jessica Jones. Darn. Yeah, darn. That's my sentiment. <laughs> now, you brought up Jack Kirby. Do you collect any of the um, Artisan Edition books from IDW? or the artist series books, those big ones that are just the black and white art as they created it. I have one of the original Eastman and Laird Ninja Turtles uh, issues in that format. It's actually one of the issues of city at war. Ooh, which uh fucking treasured possession. It's a little water damaged. I got a deal on it because it was water damaged at a comic shop. 
Um, but yeah, I love it. It's beautiful. That some of these versions where they like reprint the books like this, I don't actually even read the comics anymore. I'm so enamored by like the big artwork and all the little mistakes and the details and the changes. This you could almost reprint some of these, like this Jack Kirby stuff. And this is the sign of a great comic artist when you can tell the whole story without having to read it. Like if you know what's happening within reason, just visually, yep. I sit here and go, wow, this is a story of this creature, this robot that creates a creature going at the Fantastic Four. Cool. Awesome. And it looks amazing. Yeah. And that's, that's also a strength that Gene Colan had too. all the good, oh, yeah. all the really good Marvel and DC guys from that era. were all really, really good at that. You know, like fucking um, Wally Wood was great at that. I mean, a lot of really good, good ones. Who's your absolute favorite artist in comic books? Uh, Mobius, hands down. Not good even choice. Um, but I like all those pre-Raphaelite guys. I like that there was a whole movement in the 70s centered around Michael Kaluta, who's one of my favorites ever. Um, with Bernie Wrightson and uh, I do like him quite a bit and, and Barry Windsor Smith and all those guys who all kind of embraced that cross hatched Art Nouveau pre Raphaelite look. They all came from like horror comics, but they started doing pulpier stuff. Barry Windsor Smith was doing Conan at the same time that uh, Michael Kaluta was doing The Shadow. And yeah, all that shit was great. Uh, P. Craig Russell, who did the Elric comics, he had that same kind of style. It almost looked like a stained glass window sometimes, the way that he composed his art. Fucking jaw-dropping. But yeah, I love, I love all that stuff. I've been gravitating towards older and older art. Like, my favorite is John Romita Sr. What I've discovered yeah. is I really like comic book art created with a brush as opposed to liner pens or something like that and it sounds like a weird cover all way to describe art but there's like a warmth and a something that that tool creates and so anybody that tends to work that way seems to catch my eye a lot of the older yeah. guys just like yeah. i have an ipad now and i have all these digital tools and i got like a brush tool and it's so fun trying to replicate that look because that to me is what a comic book should look like yeah, my favorite tool to play around with when I'm doing art is a pilot pen and uh, an ink. I just an inkwell. There's something about it. You get a tactile quality to it. I just love to sketch with it. You know, I love to just fuck around with different ideas. My favorite tools are pen and ink. And my favorite pen and ink tool is is a pilot pen. It's just you can get some shapes. And sometimes the ink will run down the front of the pilot pen and you'll think it's going to ruin it. And then you roll with it and turn it into a big black shadow or something, or maybe a bit of background or atmosphere or whatever. It's a fun tool in the same way that a, a brush is, but you have a little bit more control. That's how I tend to ink. Inking has been not elusive, but the time consuming nature of it. And plus, since you brought up about shapes, there were certain shapes that I could never figure out how to manipulate the inkwell style pen to get. So I had to develop like, I don't know, I used to have to use the curve tools and this and that. But now that I'm starting to play with other things and able to get those shapes, like feathering with the pen doesn't suck. It's not impossible. It's not even hard to do, but I didn't like the motion. With a brush, I find I get like a more natural look on all my hair textures. And I like that thick, bold, gestural line. It, 
it speaks yeah to it's very classic silver age comics looking when, yeah. when you must because there were a bunch of brush artists probably because they had such strict deadlines and brushes are quicker in a yeah. lot of cases because you can get a lot of shadow in with minimal effort <laughs> with I, a fucking brush you know what i mean it's way faster oh, yeah. than when i just had. learned that not too long ago um you've probably people that draw or do art have probably seen those ads for or the true grit supplies on facebook they're all over they do you know procreate face or um photoshop all the different things and their brush man um i've learned that it helps speed up the process because the weight distribution is a little different when you're you know following a curve as opposed to with the pen you have to sometimes go over go over go over i get one nice quick gesture and boom it pops i'm excited to experiment i've always treated comic art as this like one approach when i was younger it was like it looks like this so it all has to be like this but you bring up guys like mobius as i got older i discovered them and so thankfully i've learned that comics are more than just whatever the generic marvel style of the time is and i know this was a long conversation but i hope people want to take away and what we've talked about and go find more art more comics more you know, animation, if you will, too. Just anything graphic and visual. It's yeah, I don't know, it's beautiful. I mentioned French comics earlier. France has an anime industry. Really? They have their own their own anime. Yeah. There's there's a few that you might even have heard of. Um Phantom 2040 from the 90s, the Phantom series. Um, that was like That's how I was introduced to it. Was it yeah, that was a French anime, essentially sinister. What, what is that? got called uh, is it sinister six um no it's not sinister six what is the name of that i'm blanking on what it's called there was a um a saint lupin series as well that was uh made in france that's just the animation on that is incredible aeon flux is partially a french production um you'd be you'd be surprised they don't make as much it's nowhere near as big as the anime industry in japan but it does have this really interesting like it's it mixes the detail of japan with the fluidity of motion of american cartoons and it, it's really interesting. So when you see it, you know it. You're like, oh, that's a European cartoon. That's not That's not in America and that's not in Japan. That is totally European. Um, but yeah, I, I have, highly recommend that. I didn't realize that Phantom 2040 was French. I grew up with that and had the game and everything. And I love the Phantom. Is he, is he a pulp character or no? He's, he's from that era. And they eventually made prose novels of him so in that sense he's kind of pulpy but no he was he's technically a comic character he just comes from that same era so he's kind of got that same sensibility to him he's always been a favorite even though that purple costume isn't i don't know what it is about that fucking purple costume especially with those trunks he wears with the stripes it's yeah. an ugly suit but i can't look away man it's great. It's it's iconic. I love it. I've I've always loved the purple outfit. But in the interest of full disclosure, it wasn't originally supposed to be purple. It was gray, and then it was blue. They messed around with different colors, and then there was, of course, oh, okay. more complicated. It was the coloring processes at the time uh, could be very expensive. To, so to save money, they would change it to different colors sometimes. Um, but yeah, it was, I don't think it was originally supposed to be purple. It was supposed to be like a blue or something like that. Well, if they ever make it again, like another movie, hopefully they stick with the purple. 
I wouldn't want to make yeah. it like black or something like a '90s movie. It would be cool to see a Phantom 2040 movie. You know, it'd be, oh, it'd God, be cool yeah. to see a cyberpunk live action Phantom because that cartoon series has aged really well. I'm going to go back and so I would, okay, it's available on DVD, which is cool. Um, I would love, I love animation in 4K or HD, whatever you can get 1080p. It's, I don't know, even if I don't like it, I will watch anything animated in like super high definition. My eyes just want to drink it in. Now, We've gone super duper long, so I want to read the super chat so we can close out this nearly four-hour show. Okay. Uh, again, Razor, thank you for joining me tonight. It's been it's so fun. Mary got scared and ran off, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, she she had some family stuff she had to take care of ahead of time. We call and it's cool. So um, I'm going to read these. That's uh, we okay. Women should be seen and not heard. <laughs> How did you know my mantra? No, I was joking. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. SH Rebels 08 says, I will take a message in a horse, please. So um, here we go. SH Rebels 08. You requested and you shall receive. Yeah, that's weird, but that was, that the guy was on our. Yeah, uh, Dion's afraid of horses, so we made a button to scare him, and people love to send super chats to make us talk about it. And we also have this message, message, message. There you go. <laughs> love that movie, Thomas Fitton. Thank you very much. Golden Anus, Octa Anus, Sky Bums, Prostino Royale, the man oh with the God. golden buns in Her Majesty's Secret Sphincter. <laughs> Nice. Those are, those are great. Taking screenshots. Uh, Thomas Fenton, uh, you win listener of the day, dude. That was fucking funny. He also has said, uh, me when I see weebs out in the wild. This is proof that microwaving the land of the rising sun twice wasn't enough. Somebody call Razor Fist stat. <laughs> right. Valiant Renegade, thank you very much. Hey, all good to see you, Jeff. Uh, the lovely Mary, as always, and thank you, Razor Fist, for the retweet on the Venom video. Much obliged and humbled. Great show, folks, but that goes without saying. Godspeed. Comic book heart. Comic book. I can't speak. Sorry. Comic book hut army says Razor Fist, stop ducking Vosh. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't. Thomas Fitton says to the each only thing, member. The only thing Vosh is ducking is a fucking investigation into the ages of his girlfriends. I know who this person is. Yeah, nobody does. All right. Um, well, thank you, Comic Book Army. Um, Thomas Fitton says to each member of the podcast, which fandoms, to your knowledge, have the worst cosplay slash costumes? List one of them each. Uh, maybe give an example. I'll go first cosplays the worst cosplay not to dunk on wrestling fans but i've seen some pretty bad wrestling cosplay Oof. on average it's not meant to be cosplayed but who else has bad cosplay i can't even shit on manga fans or anime fans because whoever like some of these people look like the cartoon characters they do this weird shit with like look at the wigs that are the right color they look like cartoon characters come to life but um uh, can you come up with any other fandoms that have terrible oh, cosplay? The, the fucking the grand champion of all time is fucking Harley Quinn. Jesus Christ. Get it away from me. Fuck. 
every like middling attractive whore on planet earth is like i'm gonna go to a comic convention and dress like harley quinn which basically just means dress like a crack whore in pigtails the fuck miss me with that bullshit it's always the shitty movie version of harley quinn too because they're not gonna do the whole unitard thing they're not gonna put any actual effort oh my god jesus christ <laughs> <Take it off. laughs> harley quinn post insulin resistance shit <laughs> uh thank you thomas phil says mary i put two pics in the emu nest in discord for you regarding kangaroos from last week also your saturday shooting star is still burning bright well phil booty i'm gonna send this over to mary i uh will find out what this means but thank you very much Joseph, Dr. Joseph Hader says, Mary, watch my movie, The Human Centipede. It's a triumph. It's a weird movie. Have you seen The Human Centipede? No, no. If I want to see that many heads up asses, I'll turn up, uh, turn on CNN. You'll get a better shit show. <laughs> it's true. There Infinite is kind Wonder of a human centipede tribute in, uh, have you ever played Silent Hill Homecoming? I have not. Yeah, it's an underrated game, actually. But um, yeah, a little bit of a human centipede tribute in that game. One of the bosses is kind of a human centipede. My buddy in college saw it first, the human centipede, and tried to sell. Oh, shit, I looked it up. Oh, yeah. From Silent Hill, this thing's gross looking. Yeah. It does have a, it does have a human centipede vibe, though. Yeah. I was trying to find something that's going to show it, but I think, like, that's not a dick, is it? No, it's just gore. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to get struck for something gross, but it is... Whatever the, the phrase, thing. that's not a dick, is it, is uttered, I find we're in deep water. Yeah, it's like, I don't know what I'm looking at here. Is that great art or bad art? I don't know. It makes me think. Right. There you go, folks. That's the thing. It, there's a yep. bunch of people underneath it. Up next, we have our friend Infinite Wanderer says, Talking Games, Jeff, have you played Borderlands yet? Any of you heard of Torchlight, Torchlight 2, and Borderlands?